ever wonder what it is that's holding you back keeping you from getting to the next level everything starts within your own mind your thoughts attitude and determination are all essential for success ladies and gentlemen this is the main idea podcast Diving deep to uncover how determination and mindset steamroll adversity. And now your host, creator of the Ski System and Trainer of the Year nominee, Abe Maynard. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Main Idea Podcast. Today is honestly a special, special episode. I sit down with Kirk Matthews. Kirk Matthews is a songwriter and recording artist, formerly known as CK Jones. We break down exactly what goes on with the name change and all the different identities. He was also formerly in a band, Tabula Rasa, out of New Mexico. And Matt is really like an older brother to me. I grew up with him and his family. They are partially, if not entirely, responsible for why my family moved to Colorado. And I've looked up to him and his brothers ever since they strapped me into my very first snowboard when I was nine years old. This is a real story. It is very raw. And you can see that Matt is being his 100% true authentic self. And we talk about some difficult things. We talk about some failures and successes within the music industry and many things that come along with that. Without getting too into it, I'm just going to let you listen. Without further ado, the one and seriously only. Kirk Matthews, CK Jones, Matt Kirk, Kirk Matthews, the man of many names. Oh yeah. I just want to jump right into it. Yeah. What do all the names mean to you as an artist, as a person? That's a great question, man. Uh, (laughs) what the first thing that comes to mind is it was never planned. I mean, obviously I was given a name at birth, you know, and you, (laughs) you go with that one. And then as a kid, you get nicknames. Um, and then nicknames stick with you, whether you want them or not. Right. And then, yeah. uh, and then obviously as you get older and in the music business, especially the hip hop world that I was in early on and nobody wants to use their real name. So everybody wants to use their cool guy name. So then it was like, create a cool guy name. So I guess that the only way I can break it down is like a lot of people that, that where CK came from, that's the first one, because obviously I've gone, you know, CK is my nickname. It's what I go by. Everybody knows me as that. Most people don't even know my real, you know, the government name. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and only until I chose to break away from my music career that I was in, that was all under CK or CK Jones. Did I, did I decide to change my, you know, quote unquote stage name, um, which is, we can get into that, but like, um, and then choosing a name that became another one is like, okay, do I go to my govy name right, and just be a solo artist under my govy name, which it just didn't ever, that was never appealing to me, you know, to yeah. be like, Oh, I'll just go to my normal name. But funny enough, I always saw my government name on government paperwork backwards. Right. Cause you always see right. your, last name, <laughs> your last name first and your right. first name last. Yep. And so I always saw it that way on like documents that are government document passport and all that shit. And it was like, you know, and when they read it back in the, in the government offices, they're always like your last name and then your first name. So Kirk Matthews. So I was like, or Matthew. And I was like, it rolls cool. It's two first names, you know, Kirk <laughs> is a dope first name. We got some dope Kirks and, you know, in the past, you know, so I was like, that works. And then in a Matthew and Matthews is cool. Add an S there's, you know, Kirk Matthews. It just sounded good to me. And I was really it. It was just like, 
you know what? That's cool. I've always seen it on government paperwork and it's looked cool to me and it sounds cool. So go with it. You know, I, we could get in a myriad of, of the reasons I didn't want my own actual personal name as my stage name or business name. There's a lot of depth to that. And for reasons like taxes and all the mm -hmm. anonymity and all that kind of stuff. But that was the Kirk Matthews. But the CK part, getting back to that, my last name is Kirk. Yes. Everybody, my whole life called us, all of us, because my family is Captain Kirk. You know, my brothers yep. got it. I have two brothers. We all just got it. Anywhere you go, oh, Captain Kirk. I'm not a Star Trek fan. Like, I, nothing against it. And all you Trekkies out there, all good. Like, yeah, there's a lot not, listening. A lot. I'm not a TV guy. So let's just put it that way. Like, I don't watch TV. I barely Netflix. I, do, I watch motocross, period. Supercross, motocross. If I'm in front of the TV, it's that and then random bits. But so I wasn't into Star Trek. So the name as a kid was always like, uh, you know, William Shatner never like, I wasn't trying to be William Shatner as a kid, you know? So like, it didn't. <laughs> didn't sit well with me so i was always against the nickname but again you can't run from those kind of things it's my real name right so so then it was just like okay go with it so then you know for at when i started in the music stuff you know obviously people would call me captain kirk and then it was like abbreviated to ck right yeah. and then people would be like oh like calvin klein and i was like no not like calvin Play it klein on at all so i didn't want to have that discussion either so right. then it was like how can i change that and that's how i started was like here i'll spell it so I changed the name to CK, C-E-E-K-A-Y. And I was just CK for a while. And then when I moved into like songwriting and I wanted to see my name in the liner notes, the credits and stuff, I didn't want to have like the rapper guy name. Like when you go to the movies and like Method Man is in it and it's like all the actors' names and then yeah. it says Method Man. And like <laughs> that to me, it, to each his own, man. But I just, right. that didn't look good to me. Like I don't want to forever be a one name moniker. So like, I was like, Joan adding a last name, then it sounds like a normal name. And then it's like, for me in songwriting, then on the credits, it's like CK Jones. It sounds like a name and that's how it comes. So from. you're, what you're saying is William Shatner inspired you to, 100%. to every, literally everything, everything in your career dude. is because well, of I mean, William I, Shatner. I have a Knight Rider in the guitar, in the garage right now, dude. Kit, Kit's inspired in the from, he didn't inspire you from Star Trek, though. He inspired you from his Knight other Rider. works. I yeah, see what it is. Okay, cool. And his, and his German songs, they're great. Well, that's all That's all I really wanted to do. I just wanted to find out the whole CK thing. And, um, I mean, that was like a we podcast. We're thing. good. Yeah, yeah, we're good. We figured it out. Um, no, I. you know, the reason that I, one, I like to just jump in and start things with like, like, let's just figure out who you are and what's going on. But the other yeah. thing is, and I've always found this interesting about you specifically, and, and I have, I would say, a unique understanding of you just because of our family's history. Like, for, for those listening that don't know, my family moved to Steamboat Springs, Colorado because of your family living there. And before from, that, Taos. Well, because of, yeah. but because of Taos. And yeah, totally. that's a whole, nother, a whole nother thing. But at a very young age, you and your two brothers were like my brothers, yep. but your family to me was always, I mean, I still think of your parents and I think of your brothers as it's such a fucking awesome unit. Like it's, it's such a sick family unit. You guys are so connected at all stages in your life. You transcend age and everything. It's just, it's, it's one flowing unit of amazing people. And if I didn't know you, and I saw you or I read about you, I would think like fucked up family situation, tattooed head to toe, multiple names, like all yeah. these things would speak to me that really go against the reality of actually yeah. how much love you're birthed out of, you know, like how tight you guys really are. Yeah. So within your career and with these 
multiple stages and, and we'll get into just like you being an artist and, and coming up and all the different facets of the industry that you've been in. Where did that come from? That like multiple identities despite not being birthed out of like chaos? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question, Abe. Um, I think I'm still trying to figure that out within myself. I mean, it, it's, it's been an interesting journey and one that I absolutely, as you know, up until a certain point was like hyper planned out. And then mm-hmm. when my, my athletic career, let's just say hit a wall, um, right. then the rest of my life just appeared and it was like, and, and, and things just started happening. And because I was like, so, as you know, like both my parents being professional, you know, ski racers, my mom being at the Olympic level and us basically being born into winter sports. Like we were like that, like for my life, I tell anybody from age zero till age 19, basically Mm -hmm. the only thing I thought about other than just being a kid was the Olympics was the winter Olympics. That was it. Like my whole life was how can I get to the Olympics? And that was, I knew that it was 1998 Nagano or, you know, I pretty sure it was Nagano in 98. And that was was my, that, yeah. And that was my, that was going to be my grand entrance, right. Into the, the Olympic, the, the Olympic platform. There's a lot of stuff within that that, you know, is a, is deeper rooted, you know, with my mom's past and stuff that happened to her in the industry, you know, Mm -hmm. at that time in the late sixties, early seventies with female ski racing and the political, there's a lot of stuff, you know? And so for me, it was a double, it was like, I'm going for me, but I'm also going for my mom. And, uh, totally. Uh, and so there was a lot in that. And so I just like, I had what I would consider like straight up, like Kentucky Derby blinders on as far as like, I, I experienced life, but nothing meant anything except for, you know, what started in ski racing and then obviously, you know, moved into snowboarding as that became more my, you know, my, my zone. So, um, but once I, you know, when I say I hit a wall, obviously uh, when I turned 19, I blew both my knees out. Um, yeah. and, uh, it was one of those things where I, as a person always, I have this weird thing and I, I catch myself doing it now. And it's, it's an interesting self infliction that I've put on myself. And it's, I always think I'm already over the hill. I remember being 17 years old professional. I turned professional snowboarding. I did my first professional contest at 15 and took prize money. Um, and, and I remember being 17 and being professional and thinking that I was already too old, like that I had missed the, the curve, you know, like that it wasn't going to happen yet or it wasn't going to happen. Wow. And, and like my met, and I remember being really like, fuck man, like, excuse me. I don't know if we can swear, but like, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm already, I'm, I'm, I'm over the hill already. And I, but I hadn't even started. Like I, you yeah. know, like literally like I look at a 17 year old now and I'm just like, wow, like how I had that construct in my mind competing at that level there wasn't even barely any 17 year olds that were professional and i was pro i was like a very you know and like yet for some reason in my mind i just felt like i was always behind and i wasn't ever good enough and it was this driving force that's always been my driving force but it's also to a fault where i was like so by the time i was 19 I, I just was like feeling like I was over the hill and then for some weird reason, and I was just blooming, I was just starting to do well at contests and stuff. And because I came from New Mexico, 
which at, you know, in my era of snowboarding, Taos hadn't even allowed snowboarding yet. You know, like New Mexico was not on the map for snowboarding. I had to move to Colorado to train as soon as I got out of school. And, and so sponsors never wanted, never knew who I was. I mean, I remember I, my first ever real contest was the USASA nationals in Vermont. And I had only ridden half pipe twice in my life. I had (laughs) ridden a slope style course five times in my life. And I ended up getting second at nationals. You know, that was my first ever contest. I had all these great results somehow the industry because they didn't know who I was. I wasn't around. And then, so like, I always just felt like the bad news bear, you know, it was like, always like, I was like, Oh, nobody, nobody likes me. Nobody knows me. So that was it. So then moving, you know, coming out. So at 19, I blew my knees out. And instead of like, I mean, I guess I didn't have a vision of like, I'm leaving the sport or leaving athletics. But at the time I remember I took the break. I went to Texas for like six months and learned how to tattoo and then moved to Taos for a little while to see my friends from high school and ended up jamming in a band. You know, they had started this group, this band, and it was like a thing. And I ended up just sitting, I had come down to hang out. My knees were blown. I had done surgery, but I was like, no way I was coming back yet. And uh, we just started jamming. And then I ended up in the music business. And so from that moment on, I know this is a long-winded answer, but it's like, I just kind of like let go of the reins as far as like, what the hell I was doing. It's like, I entered into my adult life and all of a sudden my life started over. Cause I didn't, ha- I never dreamed of being a musician. You know, I like, I rapped for fun at parties. You know, I was yeah. in steamboat contests. We'd hang out at night, you know, young teens smoking weed, drinking beer and rapping. Cause I loved hip hop music. You know, I was born in Western New York. I was introduced to the hip hop culture. I mean, literally like hip hop was birthing as I was birthed, you know? So like, you know, and so like, that was my first taste of music was hip hop music was like, you know, Shaka Khan, Ain't Nobody. It was like uh, DJ Reckless with Ice-T. I remember being like two, three years old and like taking that in. So like, that was, that was just my journey. So it was a part of me, but it was never like, yeah, I'm going to be a rapper, you know? Right. And so that's where this, all of a sudden, I always say to people, music found me. I didn't find music, music found me. And I ended up in the music business. And so when that happens, that was kind of like the, let's just call it the, the death and not the death, but like the, the start of, of these new people, like these, you know, personalities that you, that you bring up because honestly, within the names are personalities. And I'm right. very aware of that. And that's the weird part because then you get like, you feel like this almost like a schizophrenic disorder <laughs> because you start to like, for somebody that doesn't understand why I would say that it's like, so you, you become, I became CK Jones. Let's just say that, you know, like I, I became the hip hop moniker CK Jones. And then within that journey, you start to get bravado. You start to get ego. You start to get, you know, fame, recognize people start calling you CK. You kind of forget about who you were at, at 19 or before as the right. kid that you were named at birth until then, because all of a sudden early adult ego is a hell of a thing. We all know that, you know, it can, it's a beautiful thing, but it can be very out of balance. And when you're young and you're getting shine, it's real easy to flow with it. Right. And you know, you become that person. So like, and then because I, like I said, that I didn't have these like life journey goals in the music business. I didn't really know who I was or what I was. Cause up until that point, I was an athlete period. Yeah. Like, you know? And so like, I just kind of like let go of the reins, as I said, and started just taking this journey. And so then CK, because of, like I said, with the captain Kirk became CK, CK started to take on a personality. 
And then in the music business, as I excelled into the music business and like, that's a journey in itself. Like we talked about, it's like, you know, my musical journey has been a wild one, you know, starting from this sure. band and then, I mean, yeah, we're going to go in, into it too. Oh, There's dude, some I mean, parts like, I this could be about. a long podcast because <laughs> yeah. you know, like, you know, it's like, I, I have 20 years in the music business and I've been involved on a successful level in a, a extreme number of different genres you know, right. from underground rap music to underground New York hardcore to pop music to pop hip hop music to now what I'm doing now, which is Americana folk slash country right. stuff. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm all over the spec. I, I have records in Europe with EDM, you know, electronic producers, you know, that have done really well. So like it, I, I've just never like, like going into it because I didn't have a vision. I, and then I was in a band. So once the bands split apart, then it was like, it was like 2005 and I'm in Los Angeles at this point, having no idea what I'm doing because then the band's gone. And that was the only thing that kept me in the music business. And then I'm, I moved to LA, which is like groundhog's day for weather. You know, it's like sunshine every day. There's no snow or mountains in LA. I mean, come on, big bear. We used to joke yeah, in Colorado about that... big bear, you know, it's like a sledding hill. You guys, you know, it's like, yeah. So, so I, I was like, 2005 in Los Angeles, having just spent five years in a band that did enough to where I, mm -hmm. I got, I got my fix to where I was hooked, you yeah. know? And then, so then I was like, okay, who am I? And I'm CK. And so I started, you know, my journey as a solo artist, you know, which would then be a journey in itself too, because then I would join groups and blah, blah, blah. But that was like the start of the second personality, I guess it would be, you know, I think the first five years being in Tabula Rasa, which was my first band from 1999 to 2005, those were the formative years of me. Like that's where CK was starting to the ego and that, that, that bravado and that character was starting to like manifest into reality. And then you know, once I, the band I think it's so up, interesting, like, hearing you talk about your perception of yourself as an athlete and how like you always felt over the hill, the irony that like now in later years in life, you have a relentless approach to pursuing your passion. So like yeah. at a time when you're seemingly or, or numerically young and young and like athletic and whatever, you're feeling like an old guy. And now later in your life, you have this fucking energy of a 19 year old going like i mean it's been fun for me to watch because over the past you know decade basically since i moved to los angeles in uh 2011 you were still out in california so like watching your career go through because you were still ck jones then going through and, and changing and reinventing and doing all the stuff it's like that takes more energy than i think people are willing to accept that that takes a lot of energy to completely rebrand not just and, psychologically and or emotionally yeah. and belief in yourself that you can actually fucking pull it off right yeah. yet here you are in from an outsider looking in what seems the most authentic version now, which is a return to who you were anyway 100%. so you put on all these different masks for you know 20 fucking years and then finally just take them all off and you're like no i'm yeah. i'm basically me i'm just gonna switch my name around yeah absolutely i mean and that's the interesting part is like everybody's journey is different right in finding self i think that's what <laughs> our the no, one purpose on the planet individually on a human level probably on an animal primal level too we just don't know because we can't talk to the animals but it's like <laughs> is is finding self right who are we really who are we actually in here in our heart you know and like 
society has such a strong ability to manipulate the constructs of that identity right and so like you 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 see something that you identify with it's like i was talking earlier with the ego thing it's like as a kid here i am growing up my late teens listening to punk rock music underground hip-hop music you know how impressionable we are as teens like we start to build our adult identity in our teen years I mean, I Some, built my teen identity off of you and your brothers. I'm well, not even kidding. Like so I did. I mean, you like came in the kitchen one time, you rapped for everyone at dinner, you had your sh- head shaved, you then shaved my head 15 minutes later. Like yeah, that's, I, yeah. it's like that. Yeah. And so, and I was like, it's funny. So I had these, you know, so you have these young constructs of who you are. And then as you start maturing life experience and realizing how that character or whoever your ego character has served you and has burdened you right and the the more you you know and if you can be aware of that it's a beautiful gift i I, you know i i've witnessed people who are still in their avatar let's just call them an avatar and have no freaking idea that they have just literally become their avatar and they're so far away from who they are as a person because they don't even know who that person is anymore and it's because they were catered to the avatar or the ego was catered to so strongly at such a young age that they just abandoned that person that they were before they got there. You know, like my case in point that I always bring this up for is, is that I'm very grateful. I can say this. It would, if we got deep into the conversation, you'd probably see some tears come out of me. Like it, like just bringing it up right now brings emotion for me because I've had a struggle in the business. I've had extreme success but I still, it's always, I always just say this. I have been the brunt of the kick more than I have been the body that gets elevated in the business. I've been utilized. For sure. My, my talent has been utilized and made a lot of money has been made off of me. And I've had an amazing journey. I'm blessed at my life experience. But when I look at the business, it has really taken its toll on me emotionally you know the amount of give that i've given and and the amount of reward that i've gotten back is is not even close and so like yes the rewards of giving back are high that's a platinum record for people who understand that doesn't mean there's a million dollars in my bank account in fact it's it's so far not that i don't even want to tell you like i'm still hand to mouth i still literally play for a hundred dollars a night, sometimes for free. Like well, I'm I still wanted at to, that so level, you know, while like, you're on this, cause yeah. I hate to interrupt, but th- this is something I, I specifically wanted to talk about because I feel like part of what, what I find so interesting is I, I identify a lot with work ethic and yeah. I just, I like hard work. I, I like putting in hours and I, I recognize when other people are doing, I don't know anyone in my life that has put in more hours and time and work ethic than you have at this point in your career. And I look at things like you search YouTube, Bliss Nesso, 8.1 million views. You look at the mad child thing, 1.5 million views. I know for a fact on the flip side of that, both of those groups, despite their size now, are, are doing seriously well in part for the work that you did with them, right? Yeah, 100%. When you're a voice, a character, a person, and you're putting the, the most memorable part of these songs together, and then on top of that, going and touring, and then on top of that, playing in front of so many people and getting all this exposure, and then, and then what? Yeah. Right? Like, well, 
how how the fuck does that happen what does so that feel like it's it's a wild ride so like so here's there's two parts of it there's two answers here and and and, it, and it's both sides of the coin and that's one thing that where i am now literally right now in my life even as compared to say five years ago when i was still in the midst of dealing with those two songs that you were talking mm -hmm. about and the outcome and the, the let's just say the business around it um that's the thing you know it's like the business is tough i still i still struggle with the the business of music it's uh, not struggle in the sense of like how to deal with it well i mean yes how to deal with it but like it's just there's not a lot of moral integrity here so like it's right. it's the it's the drug game and if you have but it's the drug is is somebody's heart you know right. what i mean like music is is a, it can be it should be from a place from here so as the carrier of the product it's really hard to like get get you know taken advantage of from something that came from here you know um and so oh, but over time obviously you start I, I, like i always tell people i'm so fucking my skin is so fucking thick i'm so numb to like all the bullshit to a fault at this point you know where it's hard for me sometimes to like go all in because i'm like yeah heard it before you know, it's like, yeah, cool. You know, yo, you want this? It's like, so like those songs you told me, like, again, like that's a whole different ballgame. We could get into the whole like business semantics of what went on with the, the songs that were successful and stuff like that in the business side. But I'm not, I, I basically learned to just like, this is my education, you know? Right. Some kids come out of education of four-year college with, you know, an Ivy League school at half a million dollars in debt, right? And so- and then they, they spend their life paying that debt off, but that was their education. I have to look at these situations where maybe I got my, got advantage, taken advantage of in the business and lost a lot of money as an educational moment. And that's the, my young ego side early on, because I hadn't experienced it or really understood the reflection of that and my role in it, where, where my responsibility, um, in the, in that, um, I'm clear on it now. And I can look back at it and I can look at the, ex all this experience and everything that I do now with a cup of half full rather. What than was your responsibility in those situations? Just as far as the, the music itself. So I mean, like, it's like when you reflect back on, we'll say whatever time you're thinking of, and you feel like there's some like awareness now that you have where you can recognize yeah, responsibility. I think, what yeah, I think is under that? Yeah. Understanding the business and like moments that you need to, um, make sure you you capitalize on certain moments in the business side of things mm -hmm. early on before things can take weight. So you like my my one advice to anybody is in anything. It doesn't mean music or anything, kind of a, a relationship or an, an agreement, whether it's your best friend or a stranger. Get all of that, iron out all the details in the yeah. agreement and get and get it on paper before you even start. Um, I just watched a movie that was awesome. It was called Rock the Casbah with Bill Murray. It was done a couple of years ago and he's like a old music talent scout dude from LA. And it's like, the, the movie's great. But there's, it, it, what I loved about the movie is every throughout the whole movie, Bill Murray has these moments with people where he has to negotiate you know, deals basically. Cause he's a music guy and he does them on the spot. Like they're in Afghanistan and he's like in a war area and he's doing, he's working out money points on a contract form with an artist in the middle of the, you know, like it, it obviously yeah. they do it exactly. But, but the point that it makes is like, you need to do that because then you can go from that moment on without this 
you know, elephant in the room that nobody's addressing. And I had, unfortunately, because I've been involved with so many different facets of music business, I have a lot of relationships with a lot of people. I thought that I had certain relationships with people that obviously I found out weren't as solidified in honor and trust as I did, you know? And so I let things go a little bit longer than they should have before we got the actual paperwork in front of us. And then of course, you know, you know, if, if something gets successful and it hasn't, nobody has paperwork, of course, the people who are making the most money are going to figure out how to keep the most money. Right. And so unfortunately the deal didn't get signed on one of these occasions. We don't need it. You know, a deal didn't get signed before the song blew up. So then the song blew up, the money's coming in and the people see the money coming in, but they also know they haven't signed the contract. So they're going to do whatever they can do to keep as much of that money as they can. So you get the point. So I, I, had to I learn. wonder on, on that note. So like, I, again, this is from an outsider looking in. So correct me where I'm wrong or call me on my shit. But I think of like your career when you're early on, you're starting like New York fucking hardcore or like yeah. with Scarhead or something. Yeah. I imagine that that's more of a street rules situation and like a honor system on the front and backside of any deal. 100%. And that's just where you came up or in New Mexico, like with Tabula Rasa, like all of this stuff is... It's if I look you in the fucking eyes and I tell you that this is how it's going to be and you decide to cross that, this isn't a Capitol Records suit stepping in to no, say, well, no, well, Mr. Kirk, blah, blah, blah. It's like, we're going to fucking beat your ass. So yeah. maybe you ignorantly take that right into a situation that you didn't foresee exploding yeah. to the level it did. And then when it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought we, and they're like, oh, I don't know, but they're. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's out. Of oh, yeah, hands. it's really you're it, like, oh, OK, out of your fucking hands. Cool. OK, OK. Yeah. And it's and like you, and there's your education, you know, and then right. you go, OK, I learned. And and so on the flip of that, the other, you know, in your responsibility question is understanding that. As an artist or an athlete or anybody that has a goal for something, you are going to. Reach the opportunity your moment yes. and if you're ready for that moment obviously always an exception to a rule but if you're ready for that moment you can capitalize on the moment if you're at the olympics and you've trained and you're ready for the moment and your run comes up yes something can happen but you did everything that you could do and you knew who you were what your run is it's easy in athletics to use that as a description just because it's like you're right. prepared or you're not prepared you know I use the role in that is I look at the moment where in my career, where I feel like I ha I've had multiple moments, obviously I've been involved with different things that have had success. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest moment for me was coming off of the, that record. And obviously I had a moment that I could have, that could have catapulted me into the spotlight to where you and I would be having a, a different podcast because right. maybe maybe people I would be a little bit more known. So, um, and so, but I'll be a hundred percent with you and say that I realized now at that time, I didn't realize, but it's real easy to see now. It's like, I wasn't ready. I, I, as an artist, I wasn't ready for that responsibility. I wasn't ready to be a celebrity musician, superstar, because I didn't even know who I was as a person or as a musician. I had, I had come out of like 10 solid years of, you know, the first half of those 10 years being in a band that was regionally successful. And then, like you said, then I went into 
there was a five-year period between 2005 and 2010 where I was doing a lot of different stuff in the underground world, which then obviously culminated in me joining the New York hardcore band Scarhead and then touring all over the world with them. I was also doing side projects with, with uh, you know, Danny Diablo, Lord Isaac, who was a part of that whole thing. Mm-hmm. I was kind of his like right-hand man in that musically. Um, and then obviously there's, there's other stuff involvement. We don't need to go into that, nor do I need to talk about that, but you know, there's, there's street involvement there. Yeah. Underground music is directly affiliated and attached to underground culture. And if you know what I mean, you know what I mean? If you don't, you don't, that's it. You know, that's all I need to say. So like, um, I stumbled into that too. You know, obviously again, teenage kid from the nineties, you know, like I grew up on Wu-Tang Clan. I grew up on this underground New York community like that was my life i skateboarded and i had the wu-tang logo like like the underground new york street hip-hop mentality punk rock mentality and like and some of like the south bay uh punk rock scene of california too you know with fear and all that stuff um but those were like that's what molded me so i then get in and around these people in my 20s you know like all of us do if we are by ourselves and trying to fit in you adapt, right? My Achilles heel, and this gets back to your question as far as these personalities, and this has been my, my double-edged sword is a better term. I am really good at being a chameleon, especially in music. I'm really good at stepping outside of myself, stepping outside of here, and stepping into here and into the ego and creating characters to write. So as a musician, like I can, so it's like, and that's why it took me so long because you say now you feel like what I'm doing now is the most authentic self. And I'm 100% in agreement with you. It is. It's the first time ever that it's 100% me, like right. hear me. Like, because I, at first, it's the young kid, you know, we're just doing music. I'm like, it's the right. ego. I'm in a band. I'm a front guy. I'm David Lee Roth, <laughs> yeah. but I'm 21, yeah. you know, like, yeah, take your shirt off, do front kicks, be cool. Right. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like that's, you know, and so then. 20 or 2005 hits 25 i'm 25 years old 26 you know then my band lives and wives happen that's why i always say we didn't break up it's just lives and wives man you know like shit happens you know and people go home and find houses and then the band takes a back seat i never did that here i am at age 40 almost 43 years old no wife i've never had a successful relationship up until just recently like literally never my whole freaking life my adult life i've never had a successful relationship ever like ever have you wanted one yeah well at first i was always like against it because it was like i gotta experience like i i had some trauma as late teen early 20s where i committed to an amazing lady that i that i met in my late teens and she was a teenager and it was like that teen is your first love you know and i committed to her that first five years of my music career at where i'm a front man in a band in my early 20s like i could have been (laughs) <laughs> the ultimate scumbag 25 year old or 20 to 25 year old. like what right. kids do in college you know like go out and sow your royal oats you know right. i didn't i didn't i stayed monogamous i stayed true and so then come to find backlash. out the backlash was she wasn't i found out years later and then it, it like ruined me as far as my i was like oh so then i just right. <laughs> I, and i just said i became the pirate yeah exactly right. i was like i'm gonna get all that time back I'm going to get all that life experience back. So then I became the single like pirate. So let's just say that. And then, you know, enter in these new facets of the music business because the band ends right around that same time. Um, And then enter in me. 
I had right at the end of 2005, the Tabula Rasa band had done, we had done Warp Tour. And on Warp Tour, one of the bands that was on the tour as well, because we were like a, a Latin fusion hip hop act. Right. There was another like live hip hop rock act called Lords of Brooklyn from, from Brooklyn, which the lead dude, his name's Caves, who's a very famous graffiti artist. Um, I remember we were playing in Pomona Fairgrounds in California. And uh, I was, we had just performed in Caves was walking with me after the show. And we were talking about hip hop and my life and like, and what I, things that influenced me. And at this time, I'm probably, I'm right around 24, 25 years old. Um, I was like, yeah, you know, I loved Everlast. I loved House of Pain. You know, there, he was like, well, you know, who's right in front of us right now. And I was like, what? He's like, well, you see who's walking in front of us right now? I was like, yeah. He's like, well, that's Danny boy from House of Pain. Like this, that's Danny boy right in front of you. And I was like, what? And like, looked up and he was like, Danny. And so Danny turns around and I ended up inter getting introduced to Danny boy. As yeah. well as uh, as well as a, a very famous Japanese artist named Hikaru, who started Bounty Killer. And I don't know if anybody knows Bounty, Bounty Killer, the brand, but he was one of the first urban street brands in Japan, which is a massive underground culture Huge. of fashion. Yeah, yeah. And, and Hikaru is like one of the bigs. So yeah. like, um, so him and Danny were right there. And then I introduced myself and I ended up sitting at a picnic table with those two guys for like three hours that day. And it started a friendship with Danny Boy and me. Um, that relationship also could be a podcast in itself because we had a okay. uh, formative years for you know for a, a period of time and so that started me kind of like meeting danny boy and then long story short ended up starting to work with him he was starting a project called la coca nostra which was yeah like he wanted it okay. to be a white boy underground super underground hip-hop group kind of like a wu-tang clan but like the underground Caucasian community, because, you know, obviously at that time, there was still a lot of separation, you know, but Danny was, was Latino. No, Danny right? was white, white. They're all he Irish. Is? Yeah. Oh. They're all Irish. Well, it, Danny boy O'Connor <laughs> is Irish. Everlast is not, but you know, he's gotcha. part Irish, but you know, but, and, and lethal is, you know, I think mostly Russian. So like, as far as lineage, you know, gotcha, gotcha. all of us yep. are American white. <laughs> So like, you know, like white Americans. So, but like, um, but that was what he did. And that's why he called it La Coca Nostra. There's a long story on why the name, but it was like it, a white drug, you know, it was like the white, we're the raw uncut form of this white hip hop thing. But it was, it was a super group. It was Ill Bill from nonfiction. It was Everlast from House of Pain. It was Slain from, you know, from Boston scene. It was like all these grimy, semi and very successful hip hop artists. You know, and Danny was trying to put this group together. Um, and so I was like helping behind the scenes with him. And again, like I said, that's a whole story. How that tacked in is a different thing. But so I spent then uh, the next few years with Danny Boy as like his sidekick. Yeah. And then that was how I was introduced into the New York hardcore scene because me working with Danny Boy and all the underground hip hop stuff that I was doing with, and that was in LA at the time. Um, enter in all these players in that group that are obviously from New York, you know, cause New York, you know, with that scene, nonfiction, ill yep. bill, they're all from Brooklyn, you know? And so then enter in one day, me going to DJ lethal's house in Hollywood, walking into the house and Lord Isaac, AKA Danny Diablo is sitting on the couch. He's from Queens, New York, but he had come out to LA and just relocated. And then that was what at that moment did not know that at that time meeting him, he would become like, I would become the right hand man to him yep. starting very soon after that meeting, you know, and that's how I ended up in the New York hardcore scene was through Danny or through Isaac, both named Danny. Yep. Bizarre. Um, but um, so, yeah, and that's how I ended up in that. And so it was just like that you talk about the personality shifts. It was like, I, I always kind of like 
say that I was like Jim Carrey and yes, man, because I didn't know anything at that point of like, right. once the first band stopped and I was like, I remember I even enrolled in MI musicians Institute for vo for voice, for vocals. Like, cause I was like, I'm not going to go get a normal job in LA and just be in LA to have, you know, damn well, that's like the kiss of death. You don't yeah, go to LA more. just to go to LA and just get a job to be in LA. Like you might as well just shoot yourself in the head. Like you're right. going to fail. So like, it's going to suck. So like, um, and so I was like, I got to figure out what I'm going to do here. And also how can I get my bills paid without getting a job? Oh, student loan. Sweet. So like, you know, I just, you know, pimp the system and was like, I'll go to college. I'm going to college, you know, like, and so like I barely went to MI because at the same time, here I am spending my days with Danny Boy, you know, from House right. of Pain. So I'm hanging out with my my like childhood heroes at night and in the studio. And then during the day, I got to go to class. So that obviously, you know how long that lasted. Was there like, so. was there anything with, I, I'm just not versed enough in that yeah. genre of music to really even say, but like, was there part of you that felt like you had to convince that, like everyone in there that you were of that because again and I, I say this really from like I know you mm -hmm. like you're kind of like a brother to me so I know your family and I yeah. again I know there's nothing wrong but I can yeah. imagine within no, this genre of people these are like no no parents no relationship no like, a real deal like real your deal. only brothers in arms kind of thing and like here's this guy who like just quit snowboarding two years ago who's like not just still talks to his mom and dad on the phone all the yeah, time with day. love and affection and brothers. And there's nothing wrong. How do you, how are you like rubbing elbows with what I imagine is progressively more and more and more serious people? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, convince them that you're legitimate. Like how the fuck oh, does that happen? So <laughs> it's a great question, bro. And like, you know, these are these Delvin you know, I've never talked about this topic. Obviously, you know, like, you know, that I've had a wild ride, like as, as the <laughs> listeners that are listening right now, they can only imagine, I mean, this is just the fucking tip of the iceberg. And like, what you're talking about right now is a, is a time in my life that was a very interesting time. And what you touched on right there is, is what I've had to really do the work with now. And I call it PTSD because it's trauma. So I basically had to I stumbled into a situation that was a doorway or the keyhole, if you will, was the music. And because I was so all in, and here I am, like I said, with these key figures that I was influenced by as a kid that I was like, yo, I kind of based my who I was off this person. So then I'm like with these people and I'm like, okay, how do I, how do I fit in? Get in where you fit in, right? Because like I was saying, I, I was kind of lost. I was like, I don't know who I am in the music business. I knew I liked hip hop. I knew I rapped, but I had never like made a solo record. I had never been a right. solo rapper. I had had a band, you know? So I was like, so I was trying to find myself, identify as who I was. And I'm in my twenties and we all know you're, you're still trying to figure yourself out in your twenties. You know, For sure. if you can figure yourself out early in your life, that's a gift. That's all. That's a great gift. But it also can be a curse because later on in life, you might have, you might burn out quicker because Fair. you're like, yeah, I did it all, you know, like, so uh, that's where I, uh, later on, we can talk about that. But so basically it's just, I, I realized that I had to, for my own safety and my own, um, to really be able to success in it, I had to adapt. I had to become something. So I had, that's where that CK for sure 
came in, that's where the abandonment of Matt Kirk started. Like that was like, where it was like, okay, that, that, that happy home life, really good parents raised, right. Right. brothers that I talk to every day and live with one of, and like, I'm very compassionate, loving lived on a monastery with my parents as a yeah. kid, like, <laughs> like, like, yo, it's to this day, it's the same. Like I'm extremely spiritually connected. Like it's never changed. It's that's who I was. Yeah. But when that happened and I, I ended up in that again, I'm we, I, I, the depth in the conversation in that is not for this, but like, Fair. I had to conform and become something that I wasn't to survive. And, 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 and I realized that, like I said earlier, I'm a really good chameleon Mm -hmm. when it came to the music. But I I realized that that can also be the case physically, you know? So like I went, okay. And that's funny enough because this is where, you know, you as a trainer, it was like, I was a professional athlete my whole life up until 20 years old, let's just say. And obviously once you get into your teen years and you know, you're like, all right, I'm going to the Olympics, you start training. So I remember, you know, I did dryland training as a kid, but then starting at age 14, it was like, boom. Then I was like training in the gym, dry, you know, off season running weights the whole night. So I started to like become physically fit, but then the knee thing happened. And then I ended up in Tabula Rasa and those first five years, in Tabula Rasa, we lived in an RV. We yeah. were like, you know, we were, you know, I granted, I came from some great genetically fit parents. I spent my entire childhood as an athlete. I trained at the, you know, at a professional level all the way up into my teen years. So my physical makeup was good, but then I spent five years pretty much pissing off, like not doing anything right. physically other than surfing and just being a normal 20, 20 year old. Then starting 2005, when this change happened and I found myself in this group of, of people, uh, I realized that I, I'm, a, I'm a smaller guy in stature to begin with. I'm 5'7". If I didn't work out my natural body weight and stuff, I would probably sit around 140 to 145 pounds. Like if I didn't, wasn't doing anything, you know, unless I got fat, because then, you know, but that's different. But, you know, if I were like, you know, thin and skinny, it'd be about 145 pounds. <laughs> that ain't pushing a lot of weight uh because right. i'm not i'm not professionally trained in fighting so you know so like um so i knew that i had to bulk up i had to like get physically put myself so where i could handle business you know and like i know that, people but like, i can't imagine that is enough like these are people that see through people all the time right so like well I just because you're I- a bigger dude all of a sudden and no, you got I mean, some tattoos doesn't vet you right no no it doesn't but you know and that's where we get into this like you know demonstrate your style man you know um and again it's one of those discussions it's like yeah you know like i i haven't talked about this stuff because it's it, it's a long time ago but it's still fresh you know like and it's one of those things maybe i maybe i never will you know but like it's yeah. it's a chapter in my life that that i i i went into unknowingly because the people that were involved were people that I looked up to as a kid and I didn't know the backside, you know, and I didn't right. understand the involvement on the other side of that coin with some people. And I openly went into it blindly, not knowing what I was going into. And once I was so far involved, I was already too far involved to be able to get out. You know what I mean? So how, do, I found how do you get out? Let's just say life extracted me in the exact same way that it put me in. And so like, 
I shouldn't have ended up in that situation. And I should sure as hell not have ended up being able to leave the situation. And so somehow that comes back to that comment that I made about education. You know, I have had the school of, when I say people use, oh, school hard knocks is like, yo, motherfucker. Like I have gone to the school of hard knocks physically, the school of hard knocks, you know, like, and and so like these, these educational processes, I've, I've the money and the, in the bad business deals, the, 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 the relationships and the, uh, let's say physical altercations that I've, have dealt with in the 20 years of relationships in the business and not the business in the streets and all the shit. It's all education, man. It's like, that's it's I've paid for it, you know, like, and, and it's allowed me, um, to become the person that I am today and then find myself like we're talking about who I am now really coming back around and making a full circle back to the kid at 19 years old who was rehabbing his knees who ended up jamming with his friends in a band like I had to find that kid again and it took me coming back to New Mexico and New Mexico was like not ever going to happen that just happened randomly to finish a record and the the universe basically said you should be here. And I, and it was the first time in, you know, at this point, 16 years that I had lived in New Mexico and that I had been around the people that I grew up with, you know? And so um, it showed me there was a side of life that I had forgotten about. And that side of life was normal life. Like, <laughs> like relation. horses and dirt bikes. Well, I was like, yeah, in debt to thank, you know, dirt bikes came back into my life. I mean, dirt bikes, you know, motorcycles were a part of my childhood and racing and all that shit. And like, it is my one true love, like the over winter sports. Like when my parents got us dirt bikes, when we were kids, like we, me and my older brother gravitated to that so wholeheartedly, we went, we were racing immediately. And like, you know, life is life. It's an expensive sport and my parents couldn't keep us in it. So like, that's why it, it fell to the wayside and winter sports really became the focus. But <clears throat> thankfully I found motorcycles again, cause it's really saved me. Um, Did you have, were you, were you, when that chapter, we'll just say when that chapter closed, did you leave it with fear? Oh yeah. No, I, I, I hid for two years. Um, most people don't know that, but I was in hiding for two years. Um, and again, it's, it's hard to have these conversations and say stuff like that. And then people go, well, what the fuck were you involved in? Well, we can be respectful. Take your guess. Yeah. yeah take your guess. Can, you know, it's can like, be respectful. Under, understand that it was some organized stuff, you know? Right. And so, and, and not for the best of my, um, uh, longevity. Um, Cause I just think of that but life like, experience though, man. I'm I, like, how do you go into hiding and then you ever could, come yeah. out? So here's the thing is like, and this is why I said what I said, as far as the, the, for some reason I was, I got in, in this very way that was way too seamless and way too easy. Let's just call it that. And then I was extracted out of it. When I say way too seamless and way too easy, it was, but that didn't come with a, not, that didn't not come with a cost. Like I said, like, obviously I was extracted easily out of a situation that most people never get out of, but being the situation that, that I was extracted, I, out of my own self-regulating safety stayed in hiding. And then because like you said, I am a good person. And I know that from the foundation and in, in, in the involvement of that chapter of my life, I was around a lot of great people too. There's a lot of people involved in, in really weird shit that are actually really good people with great hearts. They're just caught in things. And, and who knows? That's their journey. That's their educational journey, right? So I met a lot of great people and a lot of people within that time frame really did realize and find out 
who I was as a real person. Like, like I didn't walk around with this fake bravado, like this fake personality. I've always been me. It's just when it came time to step up and, and do what you were asked of, I didn't flinch. And I had made sure I was a hundred per 110% able, willing, and good at doing that, just like competing for an Olympic medal. So I took that job just as serious as I took my training for professional career. So when you, when you have been in the level of athletics, like you and I have been in, and you understand the, the workload that it takes to get there and you do it, you can become really good at something. And those people that you are doing it with become very aware of how capable you are very fast. Right. So to my fault, I became really good at that thing that I was involved in, you know? And, and it was because again, I say it was my safety, you know, it was like, I was going, Hey, if I'm all in, I'm all in, I'm not going to be, I ain't doing it. I don't do anything in my life half-assed, you know that, you know? So it's like, so I'm going to commit because I'm here. And it it was one of those things where when I was making that conscious choice, it was (laughs) either do it or, or it's going to be bad for you. You know, it's like, you either are going to be really good at this or it's going to be bad. It's like, you know, you don't want to be an amateur motocross racer and go out (laughs) to a professional national and just jump on the track with these guys and try to go their speed. You know, you'll fucking die, you know, like that was my whole thing. It was like, okay, here I am. It's like, and that's why I said, I, I got myself physically able to deal with situations. I got myself mentally able to deal with situations. And that's where the PTSD comes in. That's why I say with the mental, it's because I had to shut off a part of myself that had been nurtured as a child. My parents, like right. just loving, like I have such inherent, intuitive, passionate empathy for humankind and the human heart and whether you are the, I mean, it's hard for me. I don't hold grudges. Like I still, to this day have like huge catastrophic things that have happened in my life that people have done to me. And I don't, and I have, I forgive them all. Like I don't hold grudges because I realized I did and it did nothing but burden me. It's not burdening them. You know, like the, the grudge you're holding against that person, they're not losing sleep over that. And if they are, then that's for their work to do. But like, I think individually coming back to like, we're here to do the work and find out who we are. It's like, that was some of the work that I needed to do is like, forgive these people that put me in these situations and also learn how to, I'm learning how to forgive myself for making these decisions that I thought were in the best interest of me in the moment that led to some really interesting life journeys. Right. You know, so like, but it's also perspective, man. Here I am, you know, I'm able to share these stories. And again, like I said, maybe at some point I'll sit down and I could write a book. My life up until 43 years old has been a really wild ride. So like, you know, and for better and for worse, you know, and the fact that I'm still here is some wild shit. So like, you know, I I wonder if even in this, in this stage, I won't, I won't even call it the twilight of your career. Cause I think that's insane. It's not even, it's like, I feel feel like like I'm just starting totally. I really do. So, and if you look at like, especially who you are now in your music, it's like you had to go be not who you were so many different times to get into and out of different areas within the industry to figure out what the fuck's going on to get to a place where now you can be you Mm -hmm. and you can make the music that is ready to actually 
have a stage to be on because like you Honestly, said, you weren't ready. And I if wasn't. you were given it, you wouldn't have known what to do with it anyway. Yeah. And but that's, I, yeah. I wonder like psychologically, emotionally does, if it's hard to talk about these type of things or, or, or stuff that happened in your life openly. And I understand like, <laughs> This is like my podcast platform. It's not the best place for that to be delivered. Well, it's more just like not, not, you know, putting anybody else in the conversation. Totally. And totally get it. Totally get it. But is your music now a space where you can share these emotions and these stories and these feelings through the art of songwriting and music with, without naming specific names, but yeah, like all this fuck shit that's in there and the ptsd can you channel that and do you feel like this folk music genre and where you're at now is the place to deliver those stories i do and i think that's the you you just said the key word that i was about to use it's stories it's storytelling and as a songwriter as i've gotten older in the game obviously you come in i always you know get back to the ego thing it's like rap is an ego driven sport urban music now what is on the radio just because it's considered rap to me they might be doing what is currently called rap but rap in my era that i hold era was a competitive bravado territory don't go listen to late 80s early 90s and early 2000s hip-hop artists the shit that's coming out of these artists mouth is not very light, like happy Pharrell. I'm so happy. You know, like it's not, you know, like it was very, it's swordplay, you know? So like it was verbal swordplay. And so like you, you create that, right. You know, like that's that angst in there. And then, and then because again, it keeps building this character and then, and then you've got to like find yourself in that. And then, so for me now, I'm able to take all of this, stuff that i've done and and i it it, there's been a lot of trauma man it's a lot of stuff i've had to stuff like i said you know and like and and you know interesting we're spending a lot of time on the on the what i would call the cup half empty side of my story the interesting side right (laughs) yeah it is well and it's side like i said i have i've chosen not to tell it for a reason you know like just because i'm somebody that i am I'm a cup half full person. You know, I want to talk about the fun stuff that's happening. I want to, I want to shine light. I want to put the spotlight and the energy on the positive, not the negative, because, you know, because the negative were great lessons for me, but the positive is the inspiration for you or not you, but just the listener, you know, it's like, there's lessons to be learned in the story, but there's, uh, you know, on both sides. But it's like if you shine too much or it's because you can't really shine a lot of light on the dark, you know, so it's, it's like you shine. If you spend too much energy in the dark, it's harder to get back into the light source. You know what I mean? And so you ever like, wonder, I, though, if you're not like keeping it inside is keeping you stuck there. So you're so you're, you're you're going there before I'm getting there. So this is great. So like this is what I'm talking about. So that's why if you listen to what I do now musically. I always, you know, and I've even like, it's funny. My mom even told me this last night, you know, she was like, if you never would say these words that I'm about to say to you, it would be interesting to hear people's reaction because listening to your music doesn't give you the same reaction that you think it does. And so for me, if you, to me, and this is her saying it doesn't come across that way, but 
what I think it does is because of the content that is coming out of me for the first time is exactly what you're talking about. It's this, what I would call quote unquote, dark matter. I have a lot of shit stored in this closet that I have had to stuff for my own safety, for all this stuff. So emotional buildup creates scar tissue. You know, it creates emotional scar tissue and baggage and it shuts down your heart center. And it, it's hard to access your heart center when you keep piling on the scar tissue. And so I have been in the last few years relentlessly trying to scrape the shit out of the scar tissue that's built around my heart. And it, cause it has affected my relationships in my intimate relationships. It has affected my relationships with friends. It has affected everything. You know, it's like, cause I'm operating from a place. So I'm trying to like shed all that. And that's why I said, coming back to New Mexico, re, 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 getting re in touch with the person, the kid that I was, that was inspired by all these things, why I was inspired by those things, not, you know, the things that I think I was, but what I, what was it really, you know, that led me to that. And then, uh, and, and using all of that to tell the stories, like you said, because the one thing that is beautiful about folk music, Americana music, and like it or not, people talk shit on country music. I think it's the best songwriting because they're storytellers. The art of storytelling is still alive and well in true country music, not Nashville pop that is being produced with a banjo. It's like urban music with a banjo is not country. That's still just pop with a banjo. So like, you know, when I say country music, I mean like true country music, like, you know, the Jamie Johnson's, the, you know, the Hanks and the, you know, Randy Travis and the, the artists that were beautiful storytellers. And then you go into the Americana realm, like the Arlo Guthrie's, the John Prine's, like these are writers, Bob Dylan, Chris Christopherson, um, these writers that transcend time and space with their writing. When you can take a song and remove all of the music from it and just read the lyrics and you just read a story. That to me is where I started to really understand my role of in the business as far as I wanted to be a part of something that had legs beyond just that early dopamine hit of like, Ooh, that song's dope. And then I leave it tomorrow and I move on to another song. Like I, that's not who I am. I wanted to have a song. I wanted to be an artist that when you heard the song, you felt some shit and it wasn't just like, Fuck yeah, I hate my job. The spring break. Like, but isn't you know, like, that a little isn't that a little bit unfair to other artists who are at a like okay, so you will say from from 19 years old quitting snowboarding to now, you've done if you're looking back on you, there's a lot of stages where maybe you were one of those artists, right? 100 percent And you're yeah. misaligned with what maybe your real identity is. And I can only imagine that like there's probably a ton of artists out there now whether it's current hip hop artists or pop artists or pop country artists who are maybe their strings are getting pulled by the powers that be a little more than they wanted to. Yeah. And deep down, they are a talented, really powerful, passionate artist, but they haven't gotten the education yet to yeah. get to the place that they want to be. Totally. And they might, you know, and so there's two sides to that. I have friends, I won't throw them under the bus with names, but like yeah. very successful people in the music business that everyone in the world knows, you know, like sold, hundreds of millions of records they got fame in their teenage years like right then when i was like snowboard like moved into this band like late teens when you you think you know everything like i said i thought i was over the hill at 17 years old i thought i knew everything and meanwhile you don't know shit and so think about becoming one of the biggest bands in the world when you're 17 years old and all of a sudden your bank account has 
millions of dollars in it. And there is drugs Crazy. and women and everything. And that's your existence for the next 15 plus years. And then stuff starts to slow down, but it's still, you don't know who the hell you are anymore. Like you're done. Like yet to find out that who that kid was before that moment is like really hard. So, right. and so that's the thing that happens. And, and, and so I think that's like talking to you. It's like, yeah, it's finding every, and it, it, I said it earlier too, is like everyone has their own journey. You know, some right. people make it at 17, have a career as long as mine. And then it ends when they're 40 years old, they're done. Like, it's like, they have their big house. They, they got a wife and kids and that's it. And then every, they moonlight at a casino show somewhere, right. you know, like that's their, their career. Cause they're famous and they don't want it anymore. Whereas like I said, I've been like on this, I've been given just enough of the <laughs> dopamine hit just enough times, right. as the highs failing out. And I want to be like, I want to quit, you know, tap out. Somebody sneaks me another dopamine hit. And I'm like, fuck yeah. The dream's still alive. Like this and last show. Perfect example. But we'll talk about this because I think that's like the, that's been the culmination. Cause that show is a first for me for reasons why I'll explain, you know? And so, um, it, it was just like, I have had this wild journey and I'm, I'm now I can appreciate the journey I'm learning. And like I said, I mean, if I talk about it, there's moments where it brings up some emotion, I'm like, you know, cause you know, and the reason I say this, I'll just clarify is like, so people understand I have literally sacrificed every moment of every single person's life that has meant anything to me in this pursuit. I've missed every birthday, every wedding, every child's birth, every graduation, every party, anything to have a normal life. I have not had, I've been involved with some big ass parties, but they weren't my personal friends parties. They were just another damn acquaintance. I have lost in my pursuit. My world is this big. Like I, you know, I made a joke the other day. It's like, you know, I have all the, uh, my phone is filled with probably every celebrity. Everybody would want to have their phone number, but my phone sits silent all day. I don't get text messages from friends. Like I, you know, I'm really being honest right now. Like I have, because I have chosen the road that I've chosen, it's just sy systematically trimmed out normal life out of my life because nobody else can even relate right like you don't understand because people are raising kids and they get to a point where like their dreams change i've just had this blinders and even though my career path has changed lanes with names and musical genres the blinders have still been on what if it never happens that's rough dude and so that's what i'm dealing with right and so that's that's where i got to in the whole starting over because I went, if I'm going to spend the rest of my life chasing this dream or this goal, I need to be okay with what I'm doing, whether I make it or not. You know what I'm seeing? Like, I got to be okay with playing the song that I'm writing and playing and feel 100% good about it in a room by myself and know that I can continue to be 100% good about it in a room by myself until the end if it never happens it, at least i know that when i play the songs i'm proud and i'm happy like you know and i'm like i am my own number one fan you know because that's what it means to be authentic 
is your pure belief in yourself is higher than anyone else, meaning you don't need the validation. That's just an extra accompaniment to something that you have been authentically doing for yourself. I have been a victim of the system. I came into the music business not knowing that I was in the music, like I said, and because I've allowed just go where the whim and I'm, you know, whether people think it's a cocky statement or not, talented to do all these things. I've been, you know, I just, it's an, it's an inherent blessing of a gift that I have been bestowed on me is that when I try something in the musical realm, it comes to me pretty damn naturally, you know, and I'm, I'm aware that that's not the case for a lot of people, but it has been the case for me. It's like, and that's also a double-edged sword because it allows me to get into all these different facets of music and then lose my identity. So that's what happened. Cause it's like, right. once the band left, that was my identity. So then I ended up with Danny boy and then I ended up with Isaac and then I ended up with Blissinesso. And then I ended up with, you know, uh, fucking moonshine bandits. And then I ended up with, you know, and then I recently I'm Daughtry, you know, it's like talk about some broad spectrum shifts there genre wise and music business wise from, you know, where it's all at. And so in that Daughtry is a bad example because I finally feel like I, I, I was myself on that stage. Right. Like I was going to um, say, that's kind of like yeah. where you want to just be, say, right? I, yeah, I'm just saying as okay. far as like the, the span of the curve that has yeah. happened is like, but those, that that's the, when I get back to that thing, as far as like, if, if I was ready at the time of the bliss and Esso thing, and I had my moment, cause to explain that a little deeper is like when that record hit, it became, you know, I think it went number one in the hip hop charts in Australia. It definitely was in the top five overall charts in Australia you know, platinum, we toured all over the world. I spent most of 2014, 13, or half of 2013, most of 2014 with Bliss and Esso, some of 2012. It was a big record. Um, and so obviously I went over to Australia and we did everything. We did the Today sure. Show. I mean, I did massive. everything you could possibly do in Australia because that was the market in the group, Bliss and Esso are right. from Australia. I did everything you could possibly do in that country to promote a record on the biggest level it gets. I was on the foot, the, the rugby show, yours. The, the, the footage. So here's where we're getting into this. This is, these are these small disconnects that have created the, the, the issues within myself. And again, they're disconnects with their stories. I have to like understand that that goes back to that responsibility thing, right? It's like, I have to own my responsibility in these yes. moments. And then, and the emotion is only something that's based on a situation in which I chose to react to it, you know, so the, the, the trauma can be transmuted by changing the story. You know, it's like shifting where your light source is in the room. You know, you saw something from a certain way because the light was hitting it this way. So right. it casts shadows here, but that doesn't mean the things that were in the shadow that you didn't see were actually dark things. You know what right. I'm saying? Like if, if that makes any sense. So it's been over time, me trying to reanalyze all these moments in my life and shift the light source, if you will, and try to understand a different side of that educational moment and to, to redirect the trauma. So I don't keep repeating these stories that then trigger these emotional responses that are baggage that don't even exist anymore. You know what yeah, I mean? They like happened that, already. Yeah, and for some reason, and we all do this, like yeah. I'm doing it for my life, you do it for yours. We all have these moments that you, it, and that's why I say the whole grudge thing, because grudges are those things where you like, you remember the grudge, it then releases all the peptides into your body 
and all those dopamine things that are like highs and lows. And it's all like, and then, you know, if it's a bad thing, it just creates all that angst that comes back into your body that it's not there. You just recreated. <laughs> You're reliving you know I mean? experiences. That's that the are past. Not we, yeah. We know that the past is the past. So the only reason that reaction is there is because you've allowed it to be there. So, yeah. and, and sorry to tangent on that, but that's the work I'm doing now about my past because I have had 20 years in the music business and I've done probably more than majority of the people in the music business have done because I've been all over the spectrum. I've done all these things. And I, like I said, I haven't been attached to anything. I've just kind of yes man to everything. I've had this amazing career, this amazing journey. I've been around the world multiple times. I've played on stages with all these amazing people, you know, like that I never as a kid would have thought, you know, but the whole freaking time, like you just said, it's been somehow my talent, my interjection into the moment has been used. I've been used. So I've been getting the dopamine hits like that record. Like you said, it's like that record. The only thing they did was requantize the drums, add some light production to it, some symphonic strings and some things, change up some things and rewrite their raps. Cause that song was done. I produced and wrote that song with Nigel in 2010 before I even met. Well, it was about uh, what's his name, uh, Cam Snyder, anyway. Which is well, no, no right? so no, awesome. so no, so that's all them. So like, no, so like, I didn't like my life was my story. I had quit Scarhead, the yeah. the hardcore band, and I was living on Nigel's couch. Actually, I was living on a couch inside Jake's bedroom inside Nigel's house. So Jake was living with Nigel in Burbank, which is my younger brother for yeah. listeners. My older brother is Jake. Jake had moved to California. And then I, at that time, was touring the world in Scarhead and this whole thing that I had been in for about you know six years. And I was done. And so I quit. You know, and, and that's when, you know, for a little while I was hiding, like I said. And then when I finally felt comfortable to go back to California, I moved back to California. But I had quit. I had all my money, all my income, everything. I had, I had low riders, man. I had, I had, I was, I remember life. Yeah. I remember I when to, you sold them all too. Yeah, exactly. And everybody's like, why did you sell them? I said, to keep the dream alive. It's like, you want to, it was like, keep all my toys and go get a job right. or sell all my toys and continue to pursue the dream in which I, I knew I wanted to do. And so that song, I was sleeping on my brother's couch and I didn't even know how to play guitar yet. I, in 2010, my dad bought me my first guitar as a birthday present. And I refused to allow my brother, my older brother, who's this amazing guitar player to teach me because it's my brother and I'm just stubborn and I'm an idiot. Right. And that's just the way it is, whatever. So I went onto YouTube and started teaching myself how to play guitar. At, at, at this point, I'm already 10 years into my music career, you know? So like, um, and so I'm sitting there and that was one of the first songs that I wrote on guitar. It was that. And so that song was for me. And I finished it. I wrote the song and then I showed it to Nigel and he was like, let's record it. And I had part of the chorus done. And then we were messing. I had tracked it and then we were messing around and I was throwing ideas around. And that's when the my life, my life, my life came in. And I'm going to put this on record right now because I've never said this publicly. I know that that came now I know that that came from a 70s song from I can't remember the, the name of the artist where he's like, my life, my life, my life, my life in the sunshine. There's a section of a song in the 70s. And I know as a kid, I probably heard it. But when I tracked that in the studio with Nigel, that was not in my head. So I did not have this like, oh, I'm taking this dude's part. And I did. It's different key. It's like, it's not, it's not like a sample. Yeah. It's, it's, 
but I want to put that on record because people are like, oh yeah, right. You know, I'm like, no, dude, seriously, I didn't know. And until later, like, and then it came out, I was like, oh, that's where it came in. It, it happens in the music business a lot. Start listening to songs, you guys. It's like people take other people's shit all the time and they don't even realize they're doing it. And then Puff Daddy does it and totally knows he's doing it. And then he pays for it. So whatever. But like, anyway, I just wanted to say that side note. But so I, we, we did the song and so, and then we shot a music video for it. Like I still have that original music video that was shot and done before I ever met Bliss and S. Is that so like, like the song was I, done. I, so, so like, I have a heart when I listen to you talk about this, when I listen to you turn around or, or like see you reference the, the record or even where you position the record, it's the highest yeah. point in your whole room there. Like yeah. I'm conflicted because part of me feels like this was truly a highlight in your career. It was. Yeah. And then this other part of me feels like it's this point of resentment and frustration in your career. I would say I don't hold the word resentment there, but okay. frustration, definitely. Um, and, and again, had you had this conversation with me five years ago, 2015, coming out the outskirts of the lawsuit and all the yeah. things that I went through with, um, for it, um, I would have given you a very different answer than I'm about to give you right now. Like, you know, and that's the work, you know, it's like Fair. gratitude. Yeah. The attitude of gratitude is huge and, and understanding gratitude in your life journey and understanding how sometimes we forget. And it's real easy to think about all the things we don't have and the things we haven't gotten and never really appreciate the moment of when you are receiving. And it's it, those that's just as important as yeah. cel celebrating your victories are just as important as learning from your losses. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people, because especially in sports is a perfect example is you're only as good as your last W nobody remembers, you know, past last weekend, you know? Yeah. So like, you know, so as far as that goes, it's real easy to win and go, Oh, well, I'm going for a championship. So then you never ce celebrate the win and then you get right. the championship, but guess what? Training starts in two weeks for next season. So you yeah. don't even celebrate your championship because you know that you have 14 days to get ready for next season to start. So you just never even recognize right. or, uh, uh, appreciate your accomplishments. So then as time passes, you've, you don't even feel like you've had any accomplishments because you don't recognize with a feeling of that you're right. still chasing. And so then you're, then the whole story becomes you just chasing. That's been my whole thing all the way back to the 17 year old that thought he was, he was uh, not good enough yet or, or over the hill case in point, the nationals thing. I told you, I went to Vermont and got nationals. I missed the award ceremony. I never, I didn't even think I was. So I thought I had such a pathetic run. Like I thought I did so bad that I went to dinner with my grandmother and then we came back to the ski resort and some kid, I don't know. I was from New Mexico came out to me. He's like, you're Matt Kirkon. I was like, yeah. He's like, dude, you got second in the big class. Like you got to go get me. They just had your award ceremony. Why weren't you on the thing? I was like, what? And I walked in there and like, yeah, the whole award show is over nationals. Every sponsor in the whole nat nation for snowboarding is there. And like I told you, nobody i was like my story was nobody wants to sponsor me nobody knows who i am blah blah i missed the damn moment that was my moment had i been on the podium those companies would have seen me it would have been a you know all these things i chose to not go there because i didn't think i did that that's life life did that to me that was a lesson right there you know and i look now as a kid i'm like oh you know my grandmother's still mad at me 
you know, she, on, you know, rest, I want to hear about like, it seems like there's a lot of missed moments, of course. Uh, I have natural. a lot. I have a but lot. Yeah. The, the Daughtry thing seems like a made moment. So it these, seems like the, a moment that you, it came along. You've gone through this entire career. You've done all this different stuff. And I don't know how, like, tell me how this opportunity presents itself, but it sounds like you said yes to the right thing. Yeah. And for what seems like the first time in a long time, it's shift. Like things are going in the direction that you kind of want them to go in, right? Yeah. You're not headlining and he's not opening up for you, but it's a, a name within a genre that you're identified with and passionate about. Yeah. It's a good exposure and a real stage. It's proving that the music that you're making right now is one genuine people yeah. identify with it but it's good and people want to hear it. Yeah. And this is how it starts, right? I mean, you, you, you're opening, you're not walking onto bliss and Esso's stage and playing their song. You're opening with your music as you. Yeah. For sure. For someone else, but you are your own thing for the first time. Yeah. And people are sitting there listening to that, for the first which time. hasn't been going on ever. Yeah. yeah. No, and that's real. And that, and so what you, and just to, to, to clarify that, that everything up until now has always either been something that I wrote that I ended up negotiating a deal for another artist to have the song and me stay on it. Like the, the proverbial Nate dog of the things, you know, end up stay because they're like, Oh, I can't sing the hook that you wrote. So you stay on there and sing the hook and then we'll just write raps and then call it my song. Like that's been right. the case of my, you know, all my success in the music business has come off of songs that I have co-written or written with my family members that other artists have taken from us and gotten success off of. Um, and, and then I've toured in, in with that. You know, and even like the band. So Tabula Rasa was four dudes. We were all in it together. So that was definitely an equal share thing. But after that, you know, it's always just been, uh, like I said, people utilizing me. So I've been a, a fill-in, you know, or hired gun. It's kind of how I've looked at my career as a hired gun. So I've had these, and that's where that coming back to that, like just enough of a dopamine hit to keep me in it, to yeah. not quit. You know, where because I'm like, I've tasted the poison and it tastes so good, but it hasn't killed me. So I still just want to keep tasting it, you know, so like that's kind of how I feel. Um, and then when I made this switch in 2018, let's get into that, because I think that's a it's a it's a understanding of of the shift. It's like so in 2017. Well, sorry. So 2015. Let's just call this part of the podcast, the death of C.K. Jones and the birth of Kirk Matthews, because it's really kind of how it happened. Yeah. Right. So it's like I spent from 2005 till 2015. So 10 years as C.K. Jones in the let's which what would end at a higher level of like more pop conscious with the Bliss and Nesso and stuff like that. And like more wouldn't wouldn't be underground per se, but started in a very underground music scene, hip hop and underground hardcore and blah, blah, blah. And I was very successful traveling the world in these groups. Right. So then entering in 2012, like I said, I wrote this song and it was me moving into what I was like, finally, I'm going to embrace myself as a solo artist, right? So CK Jones is going to be a solo artist. And so my life 
was my leadoff single. Like this was like the song that was going to start CK Jones's career. No longer is he going to be one of the singers or Scarhead or Danny Diablo's hype man or the, the singer in Tabula Rasa or one of the background guys in House of Pain in La Coca Nostra. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, like it was never just, you know, and I, it sounds very like vain to say never just about me, but it was like never about me. It was about me being how I could fit myself into these things. And because I was talented, they were like, Ooh, you're somebody I want on my roster. You know, like I can go to you to pinch hit. So, and I always showed up on time and I always hit the goddamn ball when I, they put me at the plate, you know? So everyone knew that's, and that's why I've also gotten as far as I've gotten, because there's a shitload of irresponsible, semi-talented people in the music business. There, there's not a lot of really talented, really responsible people. You know, the people that are really talented typically have been catered to and they're not responsible because they're really fucking talented, you know, so they can just pick their balance and they can show up and get paid and they're really fucking talented. But like I have a work ethic like an athlete. So if you ask me to do something, I'm going to show up. You know, it's like when I showed it to, if I'm going to be your hype man, I'm going to be the best goddamn flavor flavor you ever had. Right. Fuck a clock. I'm going to show up with a grandfather clock that I'm dragging, you know, with the cross, you know, like I'm that dude, like I'm going to go all in for you. So I did that, you know? And so then I just got to the point where then it was like, okay, I'm going to be the best version of CK. I'm going to come out with my life. So fast track, the whole bliss and eso thing happens funny enough the single that is my kickoff single becomes it's theirs i get <laughs> i get asked to go out on tour and they're the headliners and then i go open up two show originally it was going to be two shows one in phoenix and one in la and then they were going on up california coastline and into canada and that was it so i was going to play two shows as the 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 opener opener not main support opener like the right. the, the guy when the tickets are still being bought and nobody's really coming inside yet opener so like so i did that spot and it was in phoenix and in arizona and uh and so i played and my life was the the last song i played in my set it's a 30 minute set you know and i played that song i brought out the guitar but i still had the backing tracks like hip-hop artists do and i played guitar on top of the guitar and i did the stuff so but i played that show the first time i ever played the song to the crowd not my crowd. Nobody know who I knew who I was in Phoenix at that point, you know, and like, especially nobody knew me like that, you know? Right. And so here I am. So I do that song by the end of the song, Bliss and Esso's crowd in Arizona is singing the chorus in the final time or the first time they've heard the song. First time they've ever heard me at the beginning of the fucking night, people aren't even really drunk yet. And they're right. singing the chorus. That was the first night they heard the song ever. Then the next night, I, I played it. Same thing happened. And then I was chumming up to them. They became, you know, what I considered, you know, at that stages to become friends. And I was like, yeah, man, you guys should keep me on the tour. How can I stay on the tour? And another thing, sort of educational point for most people, tours cost money. When you see a band out on the road, they have paid money to go out on the road and they are hoping to make all that money back by selling tickets and merchandise to you. So when right. you see bands out on the road, they're not out for free. Either their record label lent them money like a bank to go out on the road and pay for the tour bus, which costs minimum $1,500 a day, not including gas money. So if you see those big Prevos on the road, that's $1,500 plus gas plus driver a day. So that's a lot of money. 30, 30, 30 show tour right. at $1,000, just the bus alone is $30,000. So think about that as far as cost. 
So to go out on the road. So I was like, how can I get on the road? They're like, well, pay your way in. We need to help pay for the bus. So, cause they had a Prevo. So I was like, sweet. So I paid onto the tour to get on the tour and play for the rest of the tour in which we went up to Canada. So we played like two or three more shows in the United States. And we went to Vancouver, played a show in Vancouver, sold out fortune sound. I have it on video. The crowd is singing the fucking chorus loud. You know, it's like, boom. And I remember coming off stage and going downstairs into the backstage. And one of the guys in Bliss and SO was like, hey, we want to talk. And so that's when they sat down and asked if they could have the song. And like, I was literally about to release the music video within a couple of days because I was out on the road and shit was happening. I was like, dude, they're singing the hook. Like, this is the time. Let's get it out. And then these guys approached me are like, well, we have another album coming out. At that time, Bliss and Esso was literally the biggest group in Australia for hip hop music. Like there's a couple of these groups. And at that moment in time, they were like the little Wayne of Australia. So like, they were like, yo, we want this song. What can we do? We love, we want to keep you on the chorus. We love the productions. Like we just like, we want to use the song. How can we do it? So again, they had already started to become what I would consider friends, you know? And then we spent there and I was like, yeah. And then we started talking about it, blah, blah, blah. So by the end of the tour, we're like, yeah, we're going to make this happen. So then, you know, I send, send the session files. My brother, I should say, sent the session files. Uh, Cause my younger brother, Nigel is partner in this as well yeah. as his, you know, his, his lady, Ebony, um, you know, and so we sent the files once they went back to Australia and that's how that started. So obviously that's the whole story with my life, the success that came from that. Um, and then, so coming out of that, coming off of, of all the touring from that song out of 2014 into 2015, I was like, all right, cool. Like I had this huge platform that was Australia, like I, uh, my fan base, like exploded overnight. But meanwhile, I don't have a lot of music out. And I'm also right. in this very schizophrenic place musically, because I just came out of the underground rap world. So if you heard the records that I put out in 2007, 2008, that we're like, I have KRS one yeah. on songs. I've got ill bill on songs. I've got, you know, it's underground New York hip hop, like nineties underground New York hip hop, like damn near like a, a Wu-Tang album type vibe, you know, as far as that production goes. So it was very different than what my life sounded like. Right. So then, so I come out of the success off my life, which is, I would consider more of a pop hip hop single, you know, because it's pop music. It's like big, you know, it's got symphonic stuff. It's not like underground chopped beat, you know? So like, it's a big pop production. So I have huge eyeballs on me in the music industry, but the, but the ear is for this dude that's singing. Right. So like I, my role in that song is a guy who's playing guitar and singing. I'm not rapping on that song. I was, but they took my raps off the song and they put their raps on the song. So, so for all of this, the world that just now got introduced to me, all they You're see the singer is guy. I'm the singer guy. Yeah. Right. So, but in my mind, I'm still this underground hip hop artist, you know, that's right. trying to figure out who the hell I am musically. And all of a sudden I get some acclaim from playing guitar and being like a Jack Johnson or a Jason Mraz, you know? So funny enough, when I went over to Australia in 2014, <clears throat> I even talked to fans that came out to the show because I had an opening set when I went with it, they let me open up the show. And then I played as their guitar player for their, for the headlining group in their band. I was the guitar player and sang my life and the songs for them but the audience members that came up to me were like because i performed a set and i did a lot of create dude all over the place from my skrillex remix stuff to like my remix to awol nation sale to like 
guitar stuff, just straight acoustic stuff, kind of like what I'm doing now, but a little bit more hip hop soul stuff. Dude, my set was a 30 minute set and it was probably the most schizophrenic thing you had ever seen musically ever. Other than the fact that the only the glue, the only glue there was me, you know, right. and I know my voice changed a lot within there too. So it wasn't even like my voice was the same voice on all this different stuff. So I come off stage in Australia and they'd be like, dude, we thought you were just going to come out there like Jack Johnson and like sing some songs with your guitar. Like we didn't know that you were like that. I came out there like, the, like, you know, like the you. rock star <laughs> shit. Yeah. You saw my outfits. I mean, I had yeah. outfits. I was like doing it all. I came in like swinging, like, and it was a success, but then it was like, what do I have to offer other than that right. show? Like if you were there and you saw it, it was a success, but then you go to look for my music. There wasn't anything there. I had like right. street CDs out and shit. Like I didn't even have anything online for digital. So like that started this whole, like, okay, now I got to fucking get a record together. We got to start producing. And that's where Nigel and I went into the studio. And for two years, like 2015, 2016, I was just throwing Doug Jackson Pollock, bro. I was just in there like yeah. trying to figure out musically who I was. And then it was like, it just didn't, it wasn't sticking. I mean, there was a lot of great songs, but again, it was just like one minute it was a country song. The next minute right. it was you're a trying to find your, like, yeah. Find and your I just, voice. and I couldn't find my voice. And so, and then I'm continuing to do things. And then, you know, I'm trying to fast track this to get to the Kirk Matthews is like right then at the end of 2000 or right, right in 2016, I had a guy approach me from Europe that I had met during my hardcore days touring with Scarhead. And he was from Italy. He had a hardcore band in Italy. And at that same time, while I was in Scarhead, he started a small record label in Italy to actually put his own band's record out. That was why he started the record label. And then they got to be our opening act in Scarhead. And I went all over Europe as with those guys as an opening act. And that's how I knew him. And uh, he hit me up having kind of like, really been a fly on the wall because he knew that i had left that whole scene and everything for years so we're talking almost almost eight years later he contacts me and it's like hey i've been watching what you're doing since then i have grown this record label to a very successful record label i have relocated to latvia and uh the record label is in latvia and uh, he's like i would love to do a deal with you and put out one of your records and like Again, let's just get back into the business. This does not mean, hey, I, I have $500,000 for you right. and you're going to, here's a house. Like, no, it's like, that's not how it works. He basically offered a 50-50 deal for whatever you put in, I'll match it. And like, right. we'll, we'll do the deal. He's like, so if you spend X amount of dollars, I'll spend X amount of dollars. And so, and into, into the other side. So I'll handle the recording and the blah, blah, blah. And then he'll handle the marketing. So that's how it was. That was the deal. So I spent, I went all in, man. Let's just put it this way. At that moment in time, it was the first time for me betting on myself. And it was going to be the first, even after all this time, it was going right. to be the first real CK Jones album. Like for the right. first time, I was actually going to put out an album. So I then spent from what would start in 2016 all the way until the end of 2017, those two years, trying to do a record it started in california and it was taking too long with the producer i was working with although some of the songs that the songs that we did create are still to this day some of my favorite songs i've ever done as a, as a musician yep. but it was like it took almost a year and a half to get four songs and so that's what ended up me finding this studio in albuquerque and coming here and finishing the record here which was like why i said it just it it took me a year and a half to, to get four songs it took me one week to get seven so I was like, oh, 
it's a return. Yeah. So I went, this is where I need to be, you know? And like, so that's why I ended up in New Mexico. So, but I spent every bit of money that I had ever made in the music business up until that point. So my, I, so at this point I'm 35, 36 years old, maybe a little bit old, maybe 37 at this point. And I literally, I went all in, I pushed all my chips and I liquid, I liquid liquidated my stock portfolio. I liquidated everything and I pushed all my chips into the table and, and, and bet on myself, which I will say you need to do that once in your <laughs> lifetime to really understand how much something means to you. If, yeah. if you want something bad enough, you've got to be willing to sacrifice everything for it and feel that once, whether you make it or not, because it's important to bet on yourself. You know, that's how you believe in yourself. You know, it's like, and I hadn't done that because I, like I said, I had been involved in all these projects. There's a lot of moving parts, people doing things. So I was like, I wrote an, an, a carpet for a little while. This was like, all right, I got to go sew the fucking carpet. I've got to crochet that bitch. You know, I've got to clean it. I've got to get it ready. And I've got to sit on it and present me and this beautiful carpet to this label. And then they've got to go present it to the world. And I take it you lost. Dude, let's just say this. I invested over 150000 And lost it all. That record never got heard. It got released, but nobody gave a shit. Because what happened over the last period of time is digital happened and my career started before the digital era algorithms happened my name as ck jones because of my crazy career and being involved in so many different styles of music got associated with a certain style and a demographic and so the algorithms in digital music i.e spotify apple music mostly spotify because that's the biggest listening platform um, or at least was maybe up until this year, maybe somebody else has taken over, but it's one of the biggest. Um, their algorithm, basically, it's not a human that listens to the music at Spotify. It's a computer. And all it does is listens to, it doesn't even listen. It's just looking at zeros and ones. It's looking at coding. And in that coding, my name is CK Jones. And that coding says in the algorithm of CK Jones is underground rapper. So... I spent 150 more. Like we spent a lot of money on this record. The record was everything that I am as a person all fucking over the place. Like I went, you know, <laughs> I, I said, you know what? I can't pick something. I'm just going to be me. So I went and did this record and it is 12 songs of like who I am. This multiple faceted, multiple dimensional musician i play multiple instruments i sing i rap i sing in high pitch i sing in low pitch i sing in i scream i all of it so i went why try to not do any of that or why try to not do some of it let's just create a record and do that so this record as far as i'm concerned was this beautiful journey because if you listen to it from front to back like we used to listen to records it's a story you know but because the story people want to hear because it doesn't make sense to them well, and also the algorithm didn't know how to pitch it. So it just went, oh, underground rap. So anybody who was got <laughs> to hear that record was only in the rap world. And I'll tell you right now, there wasn't one underground rap song on that entire damn record. In fact, there was only two rap verses in that entire record. So like if I was an underground hip hop art listener and I had a playlist and it was like, yeah, mad child, all these dope underground rappers. And I'm like, listen to them. And then all of a sudden, al- and the algorithm's like, oh, dope. You like, you like mad child. Oh, then you're going to like CK Jones secrets. 
And then right. comes on. It's a country song. And they're like sitting there now. Mind you, country has worked its way into hip hop. So let's just. Right. But, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like an underground rapper who listens to Mad Child don't want to listen to some sweet, <laughs> sultry song about, you know, you know, it's a country folk song. So right. they were like, what the fuck is this skip? And then the flip side, somebody who comes out to my show who's seeing me perform secrets. They're like, oh, that's amazing. I love this song. I use the, the song Good Coffee as the best example because it's like literally my love affair to coffee. That was on that record. It was a love song to coffee. <laughs> and it's it's close to a like jazzy elevator music. Let's be yeah. honest. I know that. You know, it's it, we always joked about I should sell it to Folgers. So there's that song. So some mother with their child hears me perform that song. She's like, I love this song. She adds it to her playlist. And, and then she gets old. So she it, gets starhead. She's sitting at coffee child's breakfast they're about to go to school and algorithm goes oh you like jack johnson or, or yeah you like you know this oh you like ck jones or you know you like ck jones oh you probably like mad child or necro and the right. underground death death die rap comes out and their children are right there and they're like skip don't ever play ck jones again you know what i mean right. like so that's what happened so nobody heard the record and then so we went to spotify and we were like how do we remedy this and they were like well it get your fan base to request your new music. I was like, I don't have a big enough fan base to, to fool the algorithm. Like, and okay. they were like, well then ch change your name. And they literally said that to me and my manager on the phone. They're like, we'll change your name then. They're like, this is a complaint that we have with our system. They're like, but this is not, it's not even close to enough of a complaint for us to change our, our, our formula. Right. You know? So they're like, change your name. So I did. So getting us to that point, I spent, I went all in. All the way. And it was funny because the record was called The Introduction to C.K. Jones. Meanwhile, C.K. Jones had been around for 10 plus years. So not really an introduction. The introduction was actually the uh, the bon voyage. Right. The, the, the wave goodbye of C.K. Jones is what happened. So that happened. And it and it, and it, it hit the skids, bro. And it was and I even went to Europe. I in, in February of 2018, I went and did my first solo headlining acoustic tour of eastern europe and and england and uh after that tour man it just i realized it was just it wasn't translating and it wasn't gonna translate it was just like it was only adding more confusion to the listeners who were fans of of rap and ck's rap right. and it was adding to the my deep down depression of where i was had gotten in the industry with who I was and the misunderstanding of who I was, right. you know? And so I went, I need to do something different. And then, so we sat there and then the whole Spotify thing happens to change your name. And I was like, oh man, you know, my first reaction was like, fuck you. I'm an artist. I should be able to do whatever the hell I want to do. And my people who like it should listen. But that was the case when it was not algorithmically steered, but that's not the case anymore. You can't right. play that game anymore if you want it to get steered to the right direction, or you have to have enough money to counter steer the marketing program, you know, the right. way you want. So, so enter in the Kirk Matthews. And in 2000, the end of 2017, I secretly did not tell anyone, not even my parents, nothing. I took the song, let me sign that I have, which is on there, which is yep. the largest streamed song that I have. I was sitting in a hotel room in Taos, and I had one microphone in my acoustic guitar in this interface that I'm using still actually same interface. Um, and I was listening to that song and playing on the guitar with it and was like, you know, and like, I was like, yeah, I can do this. I was like messing around with it. And I just turned the mic on and I ended up recording that with one microphone, one take live in a hotel room. <laughs> and I had that 
in my love that. computer. I had it in my computer. Mind you, I recorded that in 2015 while I was still doing touring stuff in a hotel room, but I was starting, I was playing around with stuff. So I had it sitting in my computer. And in 2000, end of 2017, all the shit had happened. I went, you know what? Let's see how this algorithm works without my name. So I went and I took that song and I, and I was like, what do I call myself? And then it was like, that's where the Kirk Matthews, I saw a document and I was like, fuck it. You know, I'm just, so you just created a, so I literally like a new artist account, new profile, new everything. Yeah. So with distribution, with like, Rasa, if you will. Yeah. I, I totally blank slated myself. Exactly. So, and without telling anybody and put it up and then just basically forgot about it for about a couple of weeks. And then I was like, oh yeah, I did that. And I went on to Spotify and I looked it up. Dude, I had over 50,000 streams on that song in two weeks under a name that was non-existent, a non, no, nowhere to be found other than Kirk Matthews, the well, Hawaiian you started getting, newscaster. You started getting streamed as a suggested artist alongside other folk people, right? Because the algorithm didn't know the name to identify it to anything else. So all it worked off of was the hot tags that I gave it, which was folk Americana acoustic. Right. So then the algorithm goes, okay, well, this song's dots and O's and shit say folk Americana acoustic. Then I'm going to steer this to those listeners. Not because, you know, because whereas the other one, it was the CK Jones stopped the algorithm. It right. is, the algorithm did not go past that. It didn't even go, oh, well, that's a country song listed on the hot cues. No, it just went <clears> CK Jones. Right. Yeah. So I went, whoa, here you go. 50,000. I hadn't gotten more than like 500 listens to total on my whole record right and i had fifty thousand in two weeks with an unknown name on a song that i finished writing because that song only had a minute and two seconds ever recorded of it and it was only one verse and a chorus with one take for that soundtrack so i then went like i rewrote i wrote the rest of that song when you toured re like recently when you did this Daughtry opening what did you play so that's so we'll get it so it's this moving into that is like i so i started off of that song started going okay this is because i loved playing that song it felt good right that's why i was playing it it's like i remember playing it in the hotel and being like man i fucking this feels good like it was the first time for me being a part of the music and that was what i was saying or when i taught myself how to play the guitar i remember i never liked being not a part of the music I wanted to be a part of the music side of it, not just being the voice on top of the music or the front guy in front of the band. I wanted to be a part of the music. It was always me came in after the song had been written musically and then I put my lyrics to it. So I had never felt a part of that. And so for the first time playing guitar gave me this integration into the music that I had never had. So I started to really feel the emotion of the sound. That's where the ego stepped out, you know, because being a front man is all ego. You know, it is being a lead singer doesn't have to be all ego. But when you say front man, that's a fucking ego spot. David Lee Roth has ego, you know, like he has amazing voice, but there's ego. So like um, so I started like really started to resonate with music and things that musically were making me feel. And that's why I started where I started shifting my focus is like listening to the music that gave me the same feeling that I was getting when I was playing. And, you know, and that's why I make the joke that what I do now, like, and that's why my mom said, don't say these words. It's like, 
I say I play heroin Americana music, like dark, dark matter folk music. Like everything to me is depressing because I'm, I've had a great career, but I'm really, I'm fucking depressed. Like, I'll be honest with you. Like I, I, because I haven't in my mind, that same 17 year old kid that said he's over the hill, I still feel that. And this, these are the, this is what I'm dealing with. This is an internal struggle that I have. It's the fire that keeps me going to the gym six days a week. It's the fire that gets me up and, you know, runs, you know, every week, bicycles every week, does three motos every week. Like I'm training like a professional athlete at 43 years old for no reason. But it's because it's this inner drive in me that's just like, I've, I, I don't know what it is, dude. Like, but it's this weird fire that burns and it's smoldering and it's been smoldering in me. And I feel like I'm still trying to get the wick lit or the fuse lit. And so for some reason, I just keep fucking blowing wind on those coals and I'm just like grinding. And so like, that's where this angst and this emotion comes from in me. And I think it's showing up in my music because of my journey and all this emotion and trauma, I'm channeling it into the lyrics and into the music. And so of course it's not coming out like Pharrell happy. You know, it's coming out in a a different tone, you know, for you now is there's two things that I want to say on this, because I find this very interesting and I appreciate your honesty about the depression stuff, because I think that that it happens to people, even when you're, when you have a positive mindset, you have a PMA, you know, positive mental attitude all the time. It can still seep in because still feel weird, but like what does it look like to you? And, and, and try to like really stay onto this answer. Cause I think it's, yeah. I'm, I'm very interested. When you, when you say. say, when you say it, what is it? I'll, I'll tell you. Okay. What does it look like to you to achieve what you're after? Great question. Um, so that is the question that I've had to really get to, right? Cause you, it's real easy to say what you don't want. It's really hard to define what you want. Well, it shouldn't be hard, but it is. You ask that question to anybody. They're like, you know, it's like as easy as where do you want to eat? Somebody will tell you they don't what they don't want to eat, but it's hard for them to tell you what they want to eat. Kind of like you're doing now. Exactly. (laughs) Straight up deferring it. But I have sat with it. And so that was getting back to that whole thing about being able to play a song in a room by myself for the rest of my life and being okay with it, feeling good about it. And then allowing that as long, even if it's no one in a room or 10,000 people in a room, I'm still getting the same heart feeling connection to it. That's success to me. And because then here's the second part and very important part to this. So if we can kind of define your internal success as this ability to turn off all the lights and just hear your music. And that is the heart string. And you could be broke playing this in an alley with no family alive anymore and just feel that and that is real and that's enough is that possible without fully unpacking the earlier part of your career well i think so to answer that second half i've been unpacking it but i'm doing it in a way that it's not having an open conversation that could possibly get me into trouble or put anybody else in a, in a situation where 
gotcha. I put myself into a situation. You know gotcha. what I'm saying? But so on like, a personal yeah, level, you're doing that. hundred percent. And that's what this whole thing has been. Gotcha. So like, so like with the Kirk Matthews thing, it was like, okay, get back to who you are and stop thinking about it. Stop thinking, okay, if I play this song, how is it going to, who's going to listen to it? How is it going to get marketed? Who likes this style of music? What are they doing? It's like all the business stuff that has trickled into my mind. It's like a painter. You go into a room and you look at a canvas, a painter that just starts painting or a, a painter that goes to the local gallery and the gallery owner goes, well, this painting this artist is selling the most because this is what they sell and you go home and try to paint that that painting because you know so that's what i got caught up in because and and unfortunately this is where i said the double-edged sword of me being able to do other styles of stuff well is where i've been able to go into pretty much any style of music that i've wanted to and been really good at it but that doesn't mean i'm 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 paying my bills with it or it doesn't mean that that's what i should be making but it definitely gave me a false sense of like, oh yeah, this is where I should be. Cause it came right, easy, right. you know, but then five months later, I did another song that was totally different that came easy, you know? And then they're like, right. Ooh, then there's this, you know, it's like, and so that was that. And that's why, and then because nothing ever really became successful of mine, of CK Jones, not, I was a part of things, obviously, whether I did them all myself, they still didn't come back as full right, credit right. to, right. um, I lost myself. I lost my identity, you know, and then, and then going into that chapter of life that like we'll call the darker chapter of my life. I really lost my identity for my own safety. I lost my identity, you know, and, and then in, and then it took till now, like it took from the moment of leaving that situation in 2011, early 2011 until now, 2021. Cause honestly, in the last four years of me being Kirk Matthews, that's even while this i've it's already been four years is this yeah. new solo chapter of me and it still feels like yesterday that i just did it um it's, it's still finally like me being comfortable to talk about it you know and like yeah. and bringing it out and the songwriting yeah. has come there you know so like and that's and that's so that's where i am doing the work and that's where i am unpacking the baggage and i think over time i will be able to unpack it even more you know as yeah. i get deeper into things and then you know, and that's why obviously with my podcast of the keeping the dreams alive, you know, it's like, you know, I, I, I put the pause button on it for multiple reasons, but like the next episode that I was going to do was actually going to be me. And I was going to talk about this and how I'm keeping my dream alive. And it was in this process of like rediscovering myself once again, but actually discovering, really discovering me not discovering another avatar, but actually discovering yeah. me and like, and being okay with it, you know? And like, and, and then also discovering life outside of music and outside of the, the proverbial goal or dream, you know, it's like, right. what, it, what is my life without this? You know, if I didn't wake up and go to sleep with music and the pursuit of being on the road, 200 plus days a year, and, you know, playing in front of thousands of people a night. What is my life without that? Do I have a life without that? And if this got taken away from me, would I be able to live a normal life without that? These are questions I never even gave two seconds to think about up until, right. you know, this new chapter. And even more so this year, because in December, you know, breaking, you know, crashing on my dirt bike and then breaking my wrist in two places, which is my left hand, which is you know what i play with like the hand um and and 
coming to a place where I, I was, it was possibly never going to be there again. Right. You know, like that. I just ended the one thing that I had just started feeling really good about in my life. And so right. I had to come to a place in my life and go, okay, wow. I just found myself and I just took myself out of the game because I twisted the throttle, you know? Right. So like, <laughs> there was, I couldn't blame that shit on anybody except for myself, yeah. except for my ego. My ego was like, I can clear that 80 foot gap on this dirt bike. <laughs> you know? So I, it's, the, these are the things that have happened for me, you know, musically it's, this has just become a therapeutic stage for me. I've never allowed my music to be my therapy. It was my outlet creatively, but it was my career. And there was a, I always had a very systematic process. Like I said, it was like, I knew this was hot. This is the association that I'm around. So I need my sound needs to associate with that association. Like this sound is hot on the radio right now. The people in the industry are like, you guys, you look like this, you sound like this, you should push yourself more there. And the more that happens to you and something doesn't happen, like success doesn't come from it. It's one more change. It's one more little part of a chameleon thing that attaches itself to you. And then over time, you can imagine 15, more than 15 plus years of people telling you all these things, like what you should be doing. And you start to listen. And you start to go down those roads rather than just staying true to your yourself right here, you know? And then, so I fucking lost myself. I became somebody that I wasn't. And then it got to the point where I started to develop physical health issues that were skin-based because why? I wasn't happy in my own skin. I was living in somebody else's skin. So all of a sudden, eczema, alopecia, like all these things, nowhere in my family gene pool are any of those things. No relatives with alopecia, no relatives with eczema, none of this stuff. All of a sudden it's all skin issues. Why? Because I'm li living in a skin that I don't know. That is so uncomfortable to me. And so my body started to physically show me the way it was like, dude, like Just get back it, to you. Dude. It took me five years of dealing with eczema and alopecia and all that shit for me to even realize that that was what it was and that I needed to start addressing that, you know, it took five years of like cortisone shots in my face and in my head with like, okay. you know, shit. the reason I tattooed my whole head is because of alopecia. I didn't know that. Yeah. I came home from tour in 2010 and I had a giant bald spot on the side of my head. It looked like somebody played a prank on me with the buzzers in the yeah. tour bus, like overnight. And that's the girl I was dating was like, did somebody, prank you with the buzzers and i was like what are you talking about she's like you have a huge ball spot inside your head did someone hit you with the clippers i was like what and so yeah and that was the start and then for five years and so and as you know I, you know my family i don't like putting anything in my body yeah. cortisone shots were in it fucking advil i gotta think about putting in my body so like whether it's like cortisone every six months to keep it's like no and i was like so if i get hair loss i'm just gonna bick my head and I, I didn't want it's the discussion we had right as we started this podcast about looking like mr clean i don't like i didn't want to be a bald guy with a bald head i was like i'll just tattoo my whole head and then i just look like a pirate so cool well we, we got it before we end here i gotta hear I, yeah. about we keep almost getting to it but how did I, was the, gonna say, I don't know if we've got anything good for you how did no this is dude this is exactly what i want it to be how did the daughtry thing come about okay so cool story and and it is beautifully in full circle to my whole career too wonderful so it, and and it is a good way to to to, to sum it all up because yes. i will say there as in whatever you're doing in life and this is for anybody 
there is going to be people that enter your life that will always be in and around your life. Sometimes they might enter in a way that you might not like them, but somehow they stick around and they like, they become somebody that you realize actually does have your best interest in mind. They just operate out of a certain way that they think they are catering to the best of their ability to help you. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't see it as them like you probably could show them how to help you better, but you also know that they're not to the type of a person who's asking you how to help you, right? right. You know, you just got to allow them to help you when they help you, right? So like, yeah. this is one of those people. So back at the beginning of Tabula Rasa, that's why I said it's all the way back to the first band that I was ever in, 2002, we had just left New Mexico and moved to California. We had two friends from Taos that were in, at that time, they were in college at Redlands University and Claremont University. They would go to these parties in Claremont. And there was a guy that, that they met whose father owned a booking company at the time called Mountain High Entertainment. <clears throat> his son, Michael Scafudo, my age, you're younger than me, was working for his dad for that that one of our friends that we went to high school with Taos gave him our CD, Land of Entrapment. And he was like, oh, these guys are dope. And he's like, well, they're coming to California and they're going to play at this place called The Press, which is in the local, is their local bar or whatever. So we went, he saw us. He was like, your guys are amazing. I want you to meet my father. I want to, I want to be your manager. And we were like, cool. So we signed in a, a management agreement with him and his father. Then his father and him, they wanted to sign the, us to a record deal. And they offered us a five album deal. It was like a $50,000 cash. Should have taken the deal. All right. Now, this is, this is one of those things where I should have taken the deal. We got offered five record deals as Tabula Rasa. We said no to all of them because we thought we were going to get the big million dollar one. We had five strikes. We fucking struck out. And that's why Tabula Rasa never made it because we didn't see. Let's just say the blessings of like, we, here were your offerings. And each time you said no, your life raft was right here. And you thought that you were going to get a yacht when you should have just got on the raft that might have been the dinghy that led you to the yacht. But we didn't see that. So like, so anyway, we declined that record deal, which was his father. So obviously that created animosity. Right. And then in that animosity, he became a really shitty manager. So then because he was like, well, fuck you, if you don't want to, you, you don't want success, well, then I'm not going to help you. Meanwhile, he owned 15% of our career. So like we had to buy our way out of that contract and uh, which is a great story in itself, totally a different time, but we bought our way out of that contract. And so that, and that, so, and my relationship with him was not good at that point until about 2011. All right. Coming out of, uh, the Scarhead thing right before the My Life thing happened with Listen Esso. Um, and he had since taken over the company for his father. And he had seen the stuff I was doing and was starting to do more of the, the commercial hip hop stuff, rap stuff. And he knew I was trying to, like I said, come out on my own as CK Jones, 2011, you know. And so he, uh, that company, he had then switched the name to Eminem Group, no longer Mountain High Entertainment because he took over the company from his father. And then was doing major bookings and their company since day one basically had control of booking all of the indigenous casinos across the country. So all the entertainment that gets booked at most of the casinos across the country from Atlantic City all the way to Southern California are done through M&M Group. Um, I'm sure there's others that do, but 
but Mike has a big slot in that. So he had at that time, Drake, it was right before the Grammys in 2011, Drake had come through and he had some shows at some casino gigs. And so he put me on those shows. He was like, Hey, I want you to be the opener. One more of those, these moments where these opportunities come and it, you, I wasn't ready. I had another schizophrenic set, you know, in front of Drake's audience. And I remember just old, like middle-aged black ladies, like yelling from the say, I see you yellow wolf. You know, like they're like, you know, like yellow was just started me and yellow wolf in our career paths because i was there before he was there and it was an interesting meeting and like that right so um but uh so i wasn't ready so that was the first time he tried to help me and it didn't work out cool whatever but um and then but it was the first time i started to like see him in a light of like okay cool this guy's actually still trying to help me even right. though he's solid. Yeah, yeah 10 years later he's still trying to help so i was right. like cool so then we started talking then he became my manager again and then he started getting all the music yeah. and he was like, what the fuck is this? It was all <laughs> over the place. So he couldn't pitch it. He couldn't figure out how to get me signed. Cause I was like all over the place again. Right. So that happened. And then, you know, so long story short, Mike and me have, you know, he's no longer, he wasn't my manager. Had that, that was short lived again. It was just like, dude, this isn't going to work. So like, no problem. Shake hands. Cool. High five, you know? And so, and then, so over the last, so since then he's just always, anytime he can help me, even if I come in, like I've, I've produced some artists for him, like stage produced some shows for other up and coming younger artists. I'll go in and like, do, you know, like music direction stuff. Yep. Or stuff. Um, he'll just try to throw me a bone wherever he can, you know? And, and he knows, cause he didn't even know really up until very recently what I really was doing musically. I mean, he's, he's, he's the main manager for Pepe Aguilar. So if you know how big that is, I mean, that guy's selling out the Staples center five nights in a row. And so that's his artist. So he's busy. Yeah. So it's not like he's paying attention to my career and I totally understand, you know, like, right. so, but you know, so now he knows I'm embarked on this new thing and he had an opportunity. He had Daughtry and he was like, you want the show? And it was, a, it was, you know, pretty last minute as far as that's concerned. I mean, yeah, there was some time up into right. it, but it was, as far as like, it was like, Hey, I got this show. You want to play it? You know, I was like, hell yeah. I want to play it. Cause a, we just spent a year over almost two years now in a situation as unprecedented as anybody on the planet, but as a right. musician, a working musician, brutal, you know, my life is brutal. And then I also coming off the accident, I just started playing music again. So like, you know, cause I, yeah, was, this took six months to heal before right. I could even play a guitar and just let alone gig. So, yeah. So he just threw this one at me and then, and to get to this, the, you know, it's a good culmination of like, so there's somebody that's been a part of my whole career since day one saw me when I was just me as a 21 year old kid that was from Taos, who was a stoner kid in a hip hop band who had no idea what the music business was about and just right. dreams and just a lot of energy and joyful music. He met that person who I had to go find late years later to come back here and find. So like, he's known who I was from the get go. He's seen my, my evolution through the music business, crash and burn, rise, fall, all of it. He's seen it and he's stuck around. And, and, you know, and he just has always tried to help. And so now he offered this and I, and I'm like coming out of this, like, you know what, this is a great opportunity for me to just for the first time ever walk out onto a stage in front of people that have never seen me, don't know my history, don't know anything about me. This isn't me opening for a group. I wrote a song for that's throwing me a bone to be their opening act. And then so they can play the song that I wrote. That's got them money. You know, right. it's like, 
this is the first real show where it's just like me going out there and debuting myself to strange people without the story, without the backstory. How is and it? How is it received? Best goddamn show I've ever played in my life as far as for me. So, and yeah. this is, I just want to say this, when I knew I was on the right path is the whole thing I kept saying as far as like my whole career up until I started doing Kirk Matthews live, I was I never walked off stage fulfilled. I was hypercritical. I never liked how it sounded. I was never able to look at myself on stage, like video footage of myself mm -hmm. on stage. I, I would want to cringe inside whenever I watched, you know, like myself, I was like, Oh my God, I'm that guy. Like it was so bad, you know? And I still, to this day, like people were like, dude, I remember watching you footage. You're on the stage. And I was, I remember the show and I'm like, Oh my God, I don't want to, I don't want to see that footage. Like I, cause I know what it does. So, but now the fulfillment that I get, I walk off stage so filled like so fulfilled, whether I'm in a restaurant in Albuquerque to people eating dinner that didn't even look up from their <laughs> plates. Right. I pack my gear up with a smile on my face, fulfilled from what I'm doing because it's my music. I'm playing it. I'm emoting my emotion into it. It's I perform most of the time with my eyes closed because it has nothing to do with the physical. It has to do with the, the, <laughs> the state that it puts me in it's therapy for me it is allowing me to unpack the baggage it's allowing me to feel all the shit that i stuffed over the last 20 years and it's allowing me to bring it up without having like michael douglas falling down moments you know right so like and that's it's it has become my therapy so like and in that that's why it's the purest it's ever been and that's why I'm so fulfilled because I'm all in. And does know? it feel like it, it's interesting to hear you say all in because financially you've been all in before, yeah. but this is a different type of all in. I'm all in my heart. Like, yeah. Yeah. In. Like, yeah. and it seems apparent. I mean, what, so <clears throat> I don't know how this stuff works. It goes really well. You and doctors like, thanks for opening for me. Mike says, Hey, thanks for coming in last minute doing this. You have a great experience with the crowd. What is like, how do things then go forward from here? Do you even care? Or is it more like, well, let's, so here, here, here's, here's the two things. So from that, here's, here is the hope, which I think I did. I don't know if you saw the review. It was cool. I got a show review and uh, it was a write up. So yeah, I'll Sick. send it to you. It's great. Fuck so yeah. it's a show review for Daughtry, but at the end of the review, the person who reviewed took photos of me and it's an amazing short review that that was like it's my first real review like i'll be honest again it's like funny 20 years in this is the first time i've actually right. got a show review written about me like my show about me not just whatever you know it was like right, they right. really actually listened to me play and uh and play my songs <laughs> and so uh and it was huge and the impact was big and she was like this is big that for me and what she said in the review is like i think you absolutely made a huge impact on this fan base and these fans. I know you did for me. So I made a fan out of her, whoever this writer was, that's a success for me. So right there. And I said that going there, I said, if I can have one person out of the 3,500 people or however many thousands of people were there, one person go home a fan. I won because it's 100%. not my crowd. It's not my crowd, 100%. you know? And so, um, so how it goes. So, so how it goes in my mind is that, that, you know, like my mom said, keep blowing oxygen on that little flame that you, that little candle that you lit on that stage last weekend. It, this is where it's, it's emotional for me. It's yeah. hard for me 
because it's real easy for me to blow the candle out because of what's mm-hmm. happened. It's like, yeah, I was going to say, it's like, you could see it. Yeah. So it's deep for yeah. me. You know, yeah. it happens on stage. That's why it's my therapy. Like I cry on stage all the time now. You know, it's just, it is what it is, man. It's like, because I've stuffed so much that I don't have a, I don't have the tea kettle spot anymore. I'm constantly bleeding steam. I have to go to the gym. I have to run. I have to get on my motorcycle. Because if I don't, it's not good, you know, for me, because I'm still processing, you know, I'm, that's why I sit and play so much music. Cause I'm, you know, I have to. So, so I'm, I'm fanning the flame, man. And so like, as far as the, what happens on it too. <laughs> in my mind, man, I'm telling everybody, please fan this flame because what could happen is that one person goes and tells one person and that article comes out and three people read it. And then they look, and then that it's like a network marketing. It happens, you know, and if your product's good and you're sincere and you're all in, like I am, sky's the limit. And when I say sky's the limit for me, defining success has become like, dude, like I've flown the world in private jets. I've done the red carpet. I've been on stage with Alicia Keys. I've, it's like, I've done it all. Like I know what that level feels like. So it success early on for me was hard to define, but now that I've like realized what, where, what the true payment is for me, what really feels good It's just being able to do it for a living, like being able to like go and know that I can book a show and enough people will show up to where I can pay my bills and live a life without stressing over if I'm going to be able to keep my phone on or not. And like, and know that when I'm playing at night, the people are leaving with a smile on their face, having felt something like I felt that's success to me. And so And then when you say, so what's, what's the reality you want? Here's the reality. I got off stage. I I spent the evening with two friends of mine, a married couple had drinks. I was in bed by midnight by myself. And I spent the next three days by myself driving home and to play a gig by myself for three hours. I played 47 songs for a hundred dollars to a bunch of people who are sitting there eating dinner who could, you know, I'm sure that they like the music, but that's, that's the reality, bro. So like, and I'm fucking grateful that I can come home and go sit in that room and make a hundred dollars because up until very recently, even very recently, not even a couple of years, I couldn't even sit with my guitar and play a song live by myself. Like I wasn't able to do that. I had to do that. I had to throw myself into the fire and be like, learn how to do it. You know, because like, obviously you saw, I, I had moments where I'd play a song, but you can't, you could, I couldn't get booked at a restaurant for three hours of music by myself, you know, and perform. You're just like, go, there's the mic, you know? So I'm grateful for that. But talk about a gut check. I've stood in front of 50,000 people singing lyrics that I wrote back to me. And then now I'm sitting in a restaurant in a, in a state that I left saying I would never come back to to a bunch of people who have never heard from me or don't really care because they were there for dinner. And I, it's like, that's fucking reality, bro. Like if you want reality, it's like, I have a platinum record on my wall and I play for typically a hundred dollars a night, three hours. But you know what? If everything that you say is true, it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't. And so that's why it comes back to the fulfillment. It's like on paper, you look at that. If I were to look at that, if the 21 year old me on paper saw this, I would be like, get fucked, bro. Like, get fucked. Hell no. Like, you know, like that ain't happening. You know, shit, five years ago, 
I would have said, get fucked. That ain't happening. You know, but now I'm so grateful that I have the ability to do what I do. I have the story that I have and I still have the future that I have. I'm 43. I'm young. I'm healthy. I have this amazing journey that I've had in the music business. That's worth more than any dollar sign. Yeah. You know, like what I have, as far as my experience in the business, most people in the business that are successful don't have my story. They don't have my journey. Cause if you got successful in one thing early on, chances are you're in that one thing, your whole career. Yeah. And then that's all, you know, it's like, you know, until you decide to leave that career and move into something else. Whereas like, I've just been like, flying by the seat of my fucking pants since I was 20 years old in all these places. And so like, it's led me to this. And I, that's why I, I said, I feel like I just am starting. Cause I really am. I'm taking all this 20 years of college of hard knocks in the music business. And now I'm putting it all into Kirk Matthews and I'm like, I'm here. And if I end up only here right now, at least I know I'm all in, I'm betting on myself. And I'm happy about it. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like everything else is sprinkles on an already great cake, you know? And that doesn't mean I'm not going to have moments. Like we just had me talking and it's like, you know, that doesn't Real mean though, that's not man. there. No, it's huge. Yeah. You know? And so, huge. and in finding gratitude in the darkest of hours and finding gratitude in the biggest of hours is, or the brightest of hours is really important, you know? Yeah. And so, and I'm just, you know, I just at age 43, I'm just now figuring myself out and doing the work. You know, I've had an amazing journey and I've, I've had a lot of talent. And, and, and like you said, to a fault, drive and grind and like in work ethic, you know, and it's funny because I know a lot of people and I won't say names because where my work ethic lies and what I do, they don't understand because there's a lot of people who've never been in athletics or in music or arts and they only see work ethic as certain things. I mean, I have people tell me they think I'm like fucking lucky, lazy, and fortunate and don't have to do shit in my life. You know, like they think I'm just, I'm just oh, you don't have to do shit. You have no stress. You don't have you fucking, you know, like, and like, it's so funny because I'm just like, everybody's story is different, right? You know, so like, and you can't change that person's perspective. They might culturally be brought up in a way that they will never see my struggle as struggle. Right. You know what I mean? And that's fine. I'm not here to change those people. You know, I'm not here to prove my story's worth. You know, it's like what I am here to, to prove to myself is that my journey has been worth it. Well, I say that it's always inspiring to watch you through all this. I think that your, your realness is apparent and i think from knowing you for as long as i have it seems that it's the first time that yeah. that's there and it yeah. is genuine and real and I, I i it's like i just wanted to fucking work out because i know that you've put in so much sweat equity and grease and grind and it's it's really cool to see you in a place where even if it didn't I, th I think that you're happy with it no matter what. And, and that's kind of where you actually have to be there for it to even go anywhere. Yeah. And I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I want to give you a moment too to like, dude, where can people find you? Where can they listen to you? Where can they come listen yeah. to you? How Absolutely. can they reach out to you? Just like plug yeah. that. And then I'm, I'll also drop it underneath everything for sure. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, 
kirkmatthewsmusic.com. So www.kirkmatthews, K-I-R-K-M-A-T-T-H-E-W-S music.com. All one word. So the website obviously has stuff. I try to keep it updated. It needs a revamp right now. Uh, as far as finding my music digitally, Kirk Matthews is on everything. Spotify, all the way down to Napster. So you can find my music on digitally. Right now, that's all I've done because we're in a world where physical copies for an up and coming artist that isn't, you know, doesn't have a demand for merch. Right. It's, it's, it's not an investment that I need to make right now. And so okay. I will have, you know, physical stuff, but I do have a merch store on the website. So as far as if you want to support me, honestly, this is really like, I do everything myself. Like I am completely and hundred percent independent artist. And that's the funny thing that a lot of people don't realize is like, even though I had some management agreements with bands and stuff like that, the one thing that I can say that is very rare that I have had is I have been 100% an independent artist since the beginning. And I've been at massive levels to where it shouldn't have been that way. But for some reason, I still had to wear all the hats. And like, so, I, it, it, so I'm like, I do it all. You're going to write a message on Instagram? You're talking to me. You're going to write a message on an in email to book me? You're talking to me. You're going to write to marketing to do an ad pitch? You're talking to me. You know what I'm saying? It's like anything that you find Kirk Matthews online, you're talking to me. And I love to hear from you. Like I try to respond to every single email as soon as I get them. I am absolutely honored and grateful for anybody that spends 30 seconds to listen to my music. Well, the music is beautiful. The What you're doing is beautiful. And I, I am going to continue forever to watch this career. Yeah. Boss man, thank you so much for your time, brother. Thank you. And the, the only thing I also I do want to pitch, even though it hit a little skids and you're on it, is I did start a podcast as yes. ck jones because ck jones might that name was across the board more well known than kirk matthews and in the world of sports and music that i've been involved in action sports it just meant it, it, it made more sense for me to to do the podcast under that yeah. name so the podcast name is keeping your dreams alive with ck jones you're on the podcast. I have yep. amazing people from, you know, Tanner Hall, ski, skier to Wove, the drummer for POD to Robbie Madison, who's like world record holder, motorcycle stuntman to a doctor who I grew up with it, like MD orthopedic surgeon who's worked on athletes and you amazing yep. trainer and our whole experience with what you, your journey to where you are now. It's a really fun podcast about exactly that. How do you keep your dream alive as you evolve through your life? exactly like what I've been talking to you about is just like 100% and how do you keep recreating your life to stay happy and stay driven and and that's you know and I, I took I, I put the pause button because I had some life stuff happen over the last six months but there's 10 episodes up there it's an amazing there's amazing people involved so if you're bored and you're done listening to all Abe's amazing podcast episodes go on over and see mine and I'll, I'll get more in there as well but and again right back at you dude like I just want to say like watching you grow up has been an honor like thank you brother you know like it's it's cool like you are one of our brothers we all look at you that way you are you absolutely you might have maynard as your last name but your your family is a kirk fam it, it's like we're all kirks we're all maynards you know like your brothers sisters all of it so it's, it's been an honor you've been listening to the main idea podcast 
profiling pros within the health, wellness, and sports industries. It's real and raw discussions about how real people lean on themselves to accomplish great things. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We know we had fun. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media. Till next time, this is the Main Idea Podcast. Listen, Listen, learn, learn, evolve. evolve.